Hi, you're listening to Stark Contrast, a Game of Thrones podcast at MovieFail. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield. And before we get started, I just want to clarify that <laughs> um, last week I sort of alluded to it, but I wanted to be a bit more clear, uh, a bit more explicit. Um, and uh, so I've moved to the United uh, the United Kingdom. I live in London now. Uh, I was hired as the head science writer at a biotech company called Desktop Genetics. Um, so I'll be doing a lot more writing for my job. Um, but the podcast will continue. Everything will continue. Um, and the only difference really is that I'm not working at the bench anymore uh, as a cancer biologist, although um, that may come back into play in the future. Who knows? <laughs> but in any case, um, so Josh, uh, this episode, this was uh, no one, I believe, right? No one, yeah. Yeah. Well, um <laughs> This was a this was these were peaks and valleys this episode. That's what this was. Very weird. <laughs> like okay, so I will if listener you go back and listen to our episodes for the first <laughs> our our you know re, our re- reaction to the first 5 episodes of this season. Um I was so excited. We both were. Uh we were thrilled about really more than anything, I think, just the pace of the season. It was a rocket ship. These, those first five episodes. Um, and both of us were like, wow, you know, they now that they're free of the books, they can really, like, just go full steam ahead. They don't have to kind of stall and stall and stall. Um, and, but, the you know, n- now I think the shape, now that we're kind of very close to seeing how the whole shape of the season comes out, because we only have two more episodes, um, right. the, it seems like the back half of the season is this moment where they're like... Uh, you know, we went too fast. We have to like, let's slow step down. back for a second. Yeah, let's slow down because we, you know, we still have to fill ten episodes this season. Um, we can't, you know, do like we could have gotten to the. We probably could have gotten to whatever the finale will be, like this episode. I would, you know, assuming if we kept the same pace. Exactly. Yeah, because the kind of scenes that we're getting in these last three, especially this episode, are the kind of scenes that we didn't get in the first five, and it's largely just, uh, you know, dialogue scene, long, kind of lengthy dialogue scenes that are more about uh, just character interplay than anything else. Mm. And I, you know, I like a lot of those scenes. I think a lot of them are really well written, and I'm not saying that anything that's not plot is, uh, you know, useless to me. <laughs> um, right. But... This episode, for me, you know, I, I hate to, this is such kind of, I think this is, tends to be kind of a banal complaint, but this was really slow for me, just kind of plotting. Slow, interesting. Um, and even though I liked a lot of, like, individual moments, I really finally got the impression, because we know next week is going to be the big battle that we've been building up to, and we know that the, right. whatever, you know, and then there will be a finale where all of these storylines come to some sort of conclusion. Um, so this was like the final stretch of like we Filler. like they're you know they're holding on with their fingernails before plummeting right. into the climax of the season. Like we can just we can just hold this out for one more hour. But you know what's funny about that? I don't know if next episode is all just the battle sequence. That's true. We don't but, know. But as we maybe we can talk about it later. I don't know or now. Um, the next episode is called the Battle of the Bastards, mm-hmm. which implies Jon Snow and and uh, and Ramsay. Uh, Bolton and I think it's just funny because uh, he hasn't been in any episodes for like four episodes now Ramsey and we wanted yeah. that because we're not a big fan of this <laughs> but at the same time if they're building to that 
or if next episode is only um it's just funny that it's not really it's you know we're getting some even this episode i don't think we really had any we had no sansa or 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 john stuff just brienne's failed attempt to move that forward so <laughs> i don't know it's funny that if it's building to that it's not really building to that you know what yeah, i mean exactly. like it's not it, it it doesn't feel like it left off like okay next episode's like the, where they're gonna finally meet or like their yeah. army's marching south no none of that well because like, they put so much legwork early in the season like I, I remember the first uh couple episodes every episode started and ended at the wall every single one because that was just the that was where it was ha- stuff was happening you know largely right. with John but also when Sansa got there um and it was just like that was the motor of this season for at least the first five episodes is what's happening with John and Sansa. What are they doing? Where are they going? But once they started are wandering again, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, did we need another episode of them trying to convince Northern Lords? Probably not. Um, You know, I'm not complaining about that, but that's just the problem of uh, the pace of that storyline in general is like for the second half of the season, all they could really do is, you know, build up their force for the battle. That's going to be the climax. And right. so I understand. But interestingly, that's not the climax, right? Because if Battle of the... So the last episode is called Winds of Winter and the second to last episode is, is the Battle of the Bastards. So yeah. it's not really well, the climax. It's the whatever the ninth episode. Yeah, but episode nine, you know, traditionally episode nine of, of a Game of Thrones season is kind of like the big one. And then episode 10 is more like the uh, the come down. It's more like, you know, kind of It can't be except into... for while there was a major event in episode nine of first season um i would say the finale reveal of the dragons was pretty huge that i mean yeah Um, certainly there are and a lot of the climaxes there happened like while i didn't like season two's finale at all it you know that's you know she gets daenerys gets her dragons back and you know a bunch of stuff happens um that is the climax despite blackwater being like obviously this but you know a lot of a lot of the season two finale from what i remember is about just you know, the fallout of Blackwater, much like the season three finale is a lot about the fallout of the Red Wedding. Um, I don't even remember the... The season four four finale is, I guess, an exception because the big episode nine was just the Battle at the Wall, which doesn't really affect any of the other storylines. But, and I guess that's, by the way, our biggest clue to what the next episode will be because every other season they do an episode nine that's just the big battle. They do Blackwater, they do the Battle at the Wall. So... Following in that pattern, next episode will just be the big battle. But I guess we'll see. We don't know for sure. We don't. We don't. Or we could get something like Hardhome, which was... Uh, uh, oh, well, the director of Hardhome, I believe, is, take, is, yes, is doing the finale. Yes, um, Miguel Sapochnik. Right, who was um, did an amazing job last season. Mm. And I was so excited last season to learn that he's doing the last two episodes of this season, which means we're probably going to go out, hopefully going to go out on a high note. Um, but if they do something like Hard Home, forget about all the technical aspects we've talked about in the past. But even just their Hard Home was not the whole episode. It felt like a ninth episode, but it was just, I think it was like episode eight of that season. And it was yeah, just it was like a, a mix. Uh, it was a mix of um, Hard Home was like the second half of it, um, which would also be fine. You know, sometimes, and that was what we actually praised that. We were like, you know, sometimes the battle isn't worth the whole episode. Sometimes yeah. it works as you know, a mini story of like building up to the battle um, and then having it just go down. I mean, I, I think that's why the two towers um, has a great, I think that's why Helm's Deep is such a great battle uh, and why Return of the King is just one long battle sequence. And it sort of bothers me uh, hmm. in that regard. But like, you know, the two towers has a, has a buildup and then a, and a payoff. And um, 
I'm trying to think what else. Spartacus does that a lot, where it's not a whole episode of battle, but sort of a little bit of a, a build up, and then you know, emotion, just reminding you of emotional ties, so that when things happen, it's horrible. Cora uh, did it as well. Did it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things well, like especially... that. Which, bolster it especially with uh hard home is an example where we both agreed at the time it worked better because it was only half the episode but that's also an example of i i think that the concept of the hard home battle could have sustained a whole episode just because of the fantasy element there are a lot of different you know unique ways for that battle to develop because you have the zombies and and the white walkers uh at play it's not just you know next week as far as we can predict from what we know this week it's just going to be it's going to be two medieval armies facing each other and there are a lot of things that can happen in that circumstance certainly but you know they're going to be on just kind oh, of oh but we know what's going to happen they're going to spend a good 20 minutes showing ramsey doing something horrible he's going to end up oh, killing yeah. somebody in battle before he dies some important person and it's going to be mm-hmm. she'll he'll kill brienne or something and everyone will be like oh my god he killed brienne or some dumb, and he'll do it from like he'll backstab her or something, and that'll be like, uh, and then he'll get killed by John or something or Sansa, yeah. and it'll be like, oh, triumphant moment. But they'll build to all of that, and that'll be, you know, they'll do yeah. it. It'll just be feel like stuff we've seen or things we expect. Which will be, you know? which will be hilarious because do you think there's a single person watching Game of Thrones right right now who's like, I don't know how I feel about this Ramsay character. Yeah, you right. Know? You know, he does no, some things. Again, I think to... we're missing the point. I think people like seeing him do it over and over again. There are people who are genuinely, it's not like they're like, ooh, I like, you know, but there's, like, why do you watch all 10 or however many Saw movies there are? How many different ways do you need to see people get hacked apart? And yet you will continue to watch them because that's just what you're, you, you know, whatever. There are some unique it. setups for hacking in those movies. Ramsey is pretty much, you know, the either he's thing. feeding you to his dogs or he's stabbing you. Um, right. Yeah, true. True, true. So. Um, but anyway, so, but I think that, so I, I think they do, they they can drag it out, but with Hard Home, I think they knew exactly how many cool moments that they had, and they were like, okay, we have eight, and they were probably like, oh, we could stretch this to, like, twelve, and then fill the whole episode, and then we're like, you know, uh, but the eight are really good, and the extra four are gonna not work, you know, whatever they were, whatever their calculus was, but they had just the amount of time and just the amount of content to fill that block so well, and it worked beautifully so i think i think if they have enough for a full episode that's one thing but then you know like the the, the battle of the wall or whatever the watches on the wall that was not worth a whole episode and then it didn't even no it didn't not at all i remember we said it was paced weird because like not not enough happened leading up to it and then uh leading up to the the last moments of the episode and then the last moment of the episode is like a continuation of like the battle's not even resolved at the end yeah exactly that's, that's right <laughs> to go talk to a man so it's like uh so why why do we just waste all that time, you know? Yeah. I guess you know, and we had the moment with uh what's her egret dying and all the rest of it. So mm. um but I think and I, I just have faith in this director to really to pull it off. Um I guess we'll yeah. see what happens. Um, um so <laughs> we just talked anyway, for ten minutes episode. about next week. <laughs> right, well, you know, we saved it we, we put it at the beginning instead of the end. Um <laughs> so uh this episode starts with uh, another play scene uh where we get to see Lady Crane do a new version of her death whale or not well whatever about her her sad um uh her sadness over joffrey's death and uh it's pretty cool yeah i like um i liked seeing that that we got to see the uh revised version and uh the revised version right i like seeing lady crane again i you know it's i didn't 
I got to be honest, it seems obvious in retrospect that this is where Arya would go, um, but I did not expect us to ever return to this play. I kind of figured that this was a setting that would just be incidental to Arya's development, and that right. once, you know, she was de- fully, uh, sufficiently developed by this setting, she would move on. Um, so going back to it was a, a neat surprise. It's been a though. cool anchor for her story, you know, like... They keep opening with that, so each time you know you're coming back to Arya's storyline, but you don't. It's been in different contexts each time. There was her going to kill someone. There was her going to decide not to kill someone, and then which I guess we didn't know at the time, but and then there was her going to for help. Um, and the other thing is, I we got really excited because uh, I was like, oh, maybe we get actor Arya after all, because I thought it would be kind of cool if it seemed like Lady Crane had some. She's not like an assassin or anything, but she seems to be able to t- handle herself. And yeah. so it would be like getting the advantages of the the um, uh, the House of Black and White without actually being bound to the, that code. So she'd learn how to take care of herself and be tough and, t- you know, use costumes and things, maybe not magic, but do that same sort of thing and have that benefit without having to, um, again, again, follow this. Yeah, yeah. They definitely so. dangle this red herring of, uh, of Arya. Travel, and I thought they were Crane taking that away a... after last episode, so I was like, ah, but then no. Yeah, but. they they dangle this red herring of Lady Crane, and this being where Arya's story is going to go, and it makes sense that it's, you know, because we're nearing the end of the season, it makes sense that this is uh, uh, where they would kind of leave off and set up for next season, but, um, right. but, but you know, we'll get to it later, but no. <laughs> right. Uh, Lady Crane is, is unfortunately dispatched. Yeah, and I think that um, the other thing that's uh, – we get a lot of little weird bits of information here. One thing I want to say before we continue, though, is uh, I thought it was really funny in the beginning of her monologue that um, she mentions – because there's seven gods, so she mentions seventh heaven. Um, And I know, like, that's a phrase that's in religious literature and in other things, but it was just funny to hear it because it's also a TV show. Um, So – but in any case, I think – it was really interesting to hear her because I think Lady Crane asked her where she's going to go. Um, and she's pretty determined to say she wants to go... She doesn't want to go to Westeros. She wants to go west of Westeros. Um, which was, like, bizarre. It was such a bizarre moment. Yeah, uh, like... <laughs> it was so... I was confused you know, by that. Maps in fantasy things tend to be flat. Uh or oftentimes are flat, right? So it's not, um, with the odd exception, but usually it's either, it's a version of our world, or it's like a completely dimensionally different. Um, but if it's like something like a medieval fantasy, I mean, like Lord of the Rings, um, Game of Thrones, it's just like a sort of a flat map with continent continents, but it tends not to be so crazy. Even like Warcraft has a similar sort of thing set up, um, where it's just, there's like one, two, three, four, five continents, let's say, and then just... It's not necessarily a round globe, and nobody knows what's, you know, there's no presumption that people are going to test the boundaries of that, and it's kind of like, you know, in a video game where you're not supposed to go beyond the invisible wall. Um, <laughs> and so she's like, what's west of Westeros? I'm like, George R. R. Martin has no idea, because George R. R. Martin never wrote any of that, I'm assuming, you know? So it's just funny to hear mm-hmm. her say that, because it's like she's asking the world, George R. R. Martin, the audience, everybody, like, I don't know, what's west of Westeros? Let's make stuff up, uh, which I thought was Yeah, well, because cool. it's also like, it's never been suggested... Uh, by the, by the literature, any of the extraneous literature, or the show, or anything that you know, 
that that's even a, a mystery. Um, obviously, we don't know that these people even know that their planet is round. We don't even know if their planet is round because it's fantasy. Who knows? Um, maybe it's flat. Yeah, but yeah, maybe it is flat. Maybe it's a square. Who knows? But <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the the weirder thing to me about this was that like Arya has never expressed this desire before in six seasons. I don't know where this is coming from. This you know obviously we know she kind of she has a hunger for exploration and and she's very curious. Uh, so from that perspective, it makes sense. But this seems like. Like, Lady Crane asks her where she wants to go. We know the only thing she's wanted for the past five seasons is to go home. So the fact right. that she doesn't say home, that she comes up with this... Well... You know, I just don't know where... There doesn't seem to have been any... She kind of wants to go home, but she knows She knows about Ned and all the rest of it, I assume, right? Well, I mean, she saw the play. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, so I guess the reason I asked that Oh, is... she was there, too. What am I thinking? Oh, right, she was there. Whoops. <laughs> Uh, what am I thinking? Why did I even ask that? So she knows all that. So it's not like Winterfell's, you know, she can assume it's a safe place or anything. I think, and she decided to go to Bravos, even though, you know, she didn't really have a lot of options, but she still decided to go there. So, I mean, it's not like exclusively, and that was in season four, right? So it's not exclusively what she's wanting to do. But um, that's also what she says she's doing at the end of the episode. <laughs> right. Well, that was so, what was so disappointing. And I, w- yeah. I thought that was so weird to to dangle that and then be like, no. And then there have been articles about what's west of Westeros and stuff now since it, since she dropped that line. But um, yeah, it was just really disappointing to hear that at the end because uh, I was like, cool, we're gonna you're gonna add a whole new thing into the Game of Thrones universe no one's ever heard of. That's <laughs> a really ballsy thing to do. That would be uh, yeah. But, but then they just they just sort of left it alone. It just makes the line weird. That's all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Okay, so there's a very brief moment where the Hound is murdering people with his axe, um, which I figured would have been the way they would have opened the episode, considering the last episode ended with the axe. Um, That's right, yeah. And it would have been really cool. Like, okay, here's how I would envision re-editing this episode. It opens with the Hound killing people with the axe, right? Because it's not a, it's not like the scene means anything. He's just looking for who, the people who did what they did. Uh, and he... And so, like, he's killing people, and then they sort of match cut it on Ned's head getting cut off in the play or something. And then you could just link that right in and then moved into the play. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it would have connected directly, because the end of the last episode is, like, mid-action, so why not? Yeah. Um, but but that, nope. the problem with that is more with the last episode, because the big cliffhanger of the last episode wasn't the axe, it was Arya. So that's obviously what you want to pick up with immediately, um, is the big thing that you were left hanging on. But... You're, True. So yeah. Real. I. I would have gone. I would have retroactively made the Arya thing the last scene in the episode, um, and this that way. This would have made more sense. Uh, right. But then this it scene. Uh, I, here's what I liked about this scene. Um, first of all, the the frat bro uh, thing was ridiculous. the frat bro interaction of the of these uh, brotherhood people is pretty funny. <laughs> um, it's just, just because it's like, like we said earlier in the season, we don't often see the interaction of just like the peasant class of Game of Thrones. True. Um, we're so often locked to this perspective of the aristocrats and they have to act a certain way and right. not that they don't do horrific things that are not befitting of, you know, that very lofty image. <laughs> um, people, we don't often see the people on the show who are uh, not so sophisticated. Um, and that sounds... I guess condescending to 
the lower classes of a fictional world. And I'm sorry to them, but <laughs> it's so. Uh, again, like I like we've said all season, I like spending more time with this sort of you know person in Westeros that we don't often see, and um, I liked seeing them uh, get their heads chopped off. The introduction of the Hound into this scene was so good. It, it was, was just it was like. Cool. It was cra- this episode. First of all, really well directed. I'm gonna. I forgot to look up who directed this, but um, the introduction of the Hound is just in the middle of this scene. You see him, <laughs> like out of focus in the background, and you don't. You like, you can't see his face. But as soon as you see this blurry figure just marching towards this group, you know it's the Hound, and he doesn't even. He doesn't even stop. He walks into focus and just and chops his head right off. It's, no, it's uh, Mark Mylod is the director of this Mark, episode. Yeah, Mark Mylod. Um, and the last one beat me to it, but yeah, this um, is just such it's, a good. It's cool, and I, it makes sense in the beginning while he's using the axe. I got to say, towards the end, I was like, okay, but at some point he would pick up someone's sword, wouldn't he? Why would he walk around with an axe to get out your initial frustration? I'd understand that, but he shows up later, continually still holding it, and it's not like a battle axe; it's a wood chopping axe. That's um, right. He has to look axe. Bizarre, later. like the least efficient. I guess he's not worried about them being any sort of threat, but I would have picked up a sword personally. If um, I were going on a murderous rampage. <laughs> well, maybe he thinks he can convey, like, you know, more power uh, in the in the swing of an axe than in the... Because a sword is obviously probably... It doesn't have as much weight behind it as an axe guess, blade, yeah. maybe. You know, it, I yeah, guess. I mean, really, I think it's just like when you have, you know, any fantasy uh, media, you like characters to have iconic, unique weapons. <laughs> it's just like... Sure, the, but he had one. Since the beginning he, of I mean, fantasy, it's not so... not unique, but his sword was his... I know, but it's like... You know, it's not even a thing that the Hound has been known to do, but it's like, okay, the Hound carries an axe, and that's how he kills people. It's with an axe. It's not something characters on the show do, and it's like, okay, you know. it's Maybe it's not realistic in that situation, but I enjoy seeing him chop people's heads off with an axe. Well, the thing is, I could totally see him doing that in the beginning to, I don't know, to... Because it's what he had on hand, and that's what he's... Um, and, it, and it's symbolic that he's killing them with, you know, at the wood he was the thing he was using to chop wood for the people they murdered and all the rest of it i even i get that it's just i thought it was funny that he like walks by all these they have swords and he just walks by everything and just because i don't care um no armor but the thing is at the end he still puts on the guy's boots at you know later so like clearly he needs equipment he's not like oh i'm not going to take their equipment i'm just going to be like you know i'm just going to rough it because i'm angry no and, but maybe, but maybe at that point he's gotten his vengeance, and so he's ready to, you know, become a. You know, well, maybe that's you know, maybe that's the explanation for not taking the sword. Is like he takes the boots because he needs the boots. Maybe he he clearly doesn't think he needs a sword to be efficient at killing people. Well, that like I said, that or his um, his he's he's accomplished his mission with the thing that he wanted. He wanted them to die by the, that axe, and then now he can go and whatever do what he's gonna do. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But I just I don't I know if the hound is so funny. poetic, but. I, I mean, I, that's the symbolism on the level of the show. I don't think it's I, poetry. I think it's literally just anger. I think it's just like you know, and then, <laughs> you know, he once he's able to clear his head, he's like, "Oh shit! I need boots. I need a sword. I need you know, I need to do things because uh, if he's fighting the mountain, he's gonna need uh, he's gonna need an actual weapon. Um, although I'm sure he doesn't know that's what's happening at some point. Anyway, um, so then we go to uh, Marine. Uh, Varys is getting ready to leave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> suddenly. Yeah, right? And Varys we don't know is... where he's going. I, I like this, because... Well, was... he says he's going to get more ships, right? Something well, like that? Yeah, he, but it's not clear where. It would be yeah. really funny if he's trying to get to 
the Iron Islands because that would well, be. I mean, that's where you would backwards. go if you need ships. I assume it's very backwards. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I would imagine there was other places he could have. I don't know. It's just it's weird. Um, but I like how it's not play. It's it's very. It's sort of we walk into the middle of the scene like it was happening, not like it was staged for us. Um, and I really like their. I mean, Varys and Tyrion are so good together, um, and I think that this moment it clinches it. Like they have a extremely strong, uh, like you know, strictly platonic bond. But it's it's cool. I don't know. I like I like their back and forth. Yeah, it's you know, this is another. This scene. It goes on for I, I like it, but it goes on for a length of time that I feel like maybe you know maybe this is just my perception, and it probably wasn't actually as long as I felt like it was. <laughs> but it's a scene that, like a lot of scenes in this episode and in the past few episodes, I feel like you know go, if this were going by the pace of the first five, this would have been over in like five seconds, and it wouldn't have been you know any worse for it. I don't think. I think you can get the uh, most impactful moments uh, and beats of this scene out. In a much shorter amount of time, but right. they just kind of drag it, and I I think the impulse is just towards, you know, we want to spend more time on watching these characters be these characters and talk to each other outside of the machinations of the plot, and I really respect that, I genuinely do, but uh, as we get to later in the episode, in a very, you know, in, in, a, in a very funny way, what's revealed is that these characters... If you spend, if you give them too much breathing room, they can only stretch like so far. Um, right. And I think you get that, like you see Tyrion and Varys's relationship kind of like stretch to its breaking point in the length of this scene, in terms of their, uh, you know, I, I believe that they do genuinely have some uh, uh, feeling for each other, and if not, you know, not romantic feeling, obviously. And I know that's how that phrase is, is uh, tends to be used, but I, you know, I do. Right. 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 I, I buy that these people care about each other, but it just, it goes on, if it had gone on, if it had gone on for another 30 seconds, um, it, it would have been just like, it would have been milking it to the degree that it, it I just like, I would have been like, come on, I don't believe they care about each other that much. <laughs> uh, so it just right. barely, I, know, I, like, thought it, I thought it were, you know, my suspicion is something horrible is going to happen to Varys. Um, or they will get separated, or they won't see each other again in this. Or Tyrion, I mean, season, or maybe the series, or or something can happen to Tyrion. So that could be the logic behind this: is that it'll have more impact when we realize that this was the last time they see each other. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I mean, how many times have characters given tearful farewells on this show, and we and they never saw each other again? Right. I exactly. To, I would love to go back and actually and actually chart that because I bet it's a lot. Yeah. Exactly. Or like moments that the you know clearly the creators knew, but no one knew. No one else knew that that was coming, and so people are like, and but people except for the people who read the books, and so, um, yeah, there's a lot of that kind of thing, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we come back to this later, but uh, we we come back to that later. We come back to Tyrion. Um, but first, uh, how did? Oh, this is my question, right? So we go to the capital, and um, just a quick question before we even get into this: um, Who allowed the mountain into the Kingsguard in his resurrected form? Like well, that, the mountain was always. Crazy. I just realized that that he's in the. King oh, it Carl. was. Like, uh... It was Kyburn because I remember Kyburn introduces the resurrected mountain with he says the newest member of the Kingsguard. So oh, okay. I don't know because right. the I, what's yeah. Does he I don't have remember the rules of that. that. Well, yeah, because the, the king has to do that, right? Yeah. As far as I remember, 
the king has to approve that. So yeah, that's why that's, he that's why he strips people all the time. Like it's the king exactly <laughs> all the time. Yeah, that's looking. Yeah, looking back to the last season's finale. Now I can't believe that. Like yeah, that doesn't make Kyburn doesn't have the authority to do that in any way. Or maybe he said that and like you know because she was and it's special armor you had to get made to fit his frame. So it's not like it's just lying around and he could just slip into it. You know it's, um, but anyway, I really like this scene. Uh, and I only like this scene really because it's what I wanted the scene to be. Whatever two three episodes ago, um, like I wanted some like blood to be spilled with the faith militant, and we got it finally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was a great scene too. Uh, where the guy, I love this fight. It's so great. He hits him with the mace thing. It just dents his chest. Which, by the way, that was there for the rest of the episode. Um, and oh, I gotta go back and watch it. That's that's so funny. Yeah, later when they're he's standing in when they're in the throne room uh, scene. Uh, he's standing oh, that's there and great. he's dents in his armor. Because um, it's like it really went in there, but it had absolutely no impact. And so that was funny. And then the fact that he rips his head off is mm-hmm. hilarious because the rest of their faces are like they're just there's pure terror and then i also love the final shot with the blood dripping down through the grate yeah that that shot really that stood out cool. to me because it's an example of a shot like game of thrones we, we've talked about this i think many many times in the past but yeah. less so this season just because the direction's been so good generally right um game of thrones tends to be a show like you know 99 percent of live action tv shows and you know, they had a lot of animated shows too, where it's like, it's just like shot, you know, two shot, shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot. Uh, really, you just... think in a lot of animated shows? I feel like in animated shows they they t- animated unless... sh- well, yeah. That, that's why I love animated shows is because they have the freedom to break free of that, and I love animated shows that do. Well, break and they free have to that. draw the frame, so it's not like yep. they can just put the camera and make it easy. They have to like decide. Yes, I want this to look as boring as possible. They just make that conscious decision. As opposed to going, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this was, you know, if this was half in the frame or whatever? Yeah. So I feel like it, sometimes animation has that freedom. You very rarely get a TV, at least a live-action TV show that, you know, with some, like, you know, honest-to-God filmmaking in it. Um, which, I don't know if you've seen, like, Mr. Robot. Uh, it, it's a I really... It, it is a, it's, a, it's a good show. It's a show that I think uh, should have put me off more than it did because the main character is kind of... It's very, it's very preachy about, like, his... Uh, uh, beliefs about is he's very reddity in his beliefs about oh, the God. way the world works, but it is a it is a really but you know it's Rami Malek who's such a good actor, um, and he's so good on the show and it's a really compelling very you know twisty turny story, and it, you know it's an enjoyable show but the directors do this thing where they'll put the thing that I shit on Tom Hooper for all the time. Um, where the char- a character's head will be like in the corner of the frame, and the rest will just be <laughs> negative space. Right. Uh, Mr. Robot does that all the time, but it's used to, unlike in like you know the King's Speech, it's used to really good effect in the show because it is disorient. Like my, it's disorienting. My dad got me to watch the show because he texted me like, "What's this technique called? I've never seen a TV show do this before." Right. So when you know a layman like my dad is noticing filmmaking techniques uh, that a TV show is doing, that's special because tv shows don't look like that and the shot from inside the grate of the blood dripping down is a great example of a shot that um it is not explicitly necessary to conveying the information of the scene um but it is an evocative image you know it is a well there's so much to it well first of all i like that it sort of has um parallel it's sort of parallel imagery from the last episode this guy directed um uh in that the 
just before blood gets spilt in the last episode, uh, the netting is over Arya when I talked about the shadows. Mm. And it's also a grid, uh, sort of a shadow grid. Uh, yeah, and interesting. For, I connected those in my head just because I noticed that shot as well. And these are the two shots I noticed in both both episodes. Um, but then also, you know, it's blood. It's blood being spilt finally. It's finally there's real, like, conflict, violent conflict between these two groups. It's being sp- uh, spilled in the city. It's going into the sewer, um, specifically the sewer. And I think just all those things together, just, uh, you know, what they mean, I don't know. But it's it, it all, it seems much more evocative of than it could have been. Exactly. It's an example of a shot that, you know, a a worse or like a hackier TV director would film this scene and they wouldn't even think to include it, but a director with kind of a, you know, an ounce of uh, inspiration in them will think like, you know, it would be interesting. This image is interesting. And, you know, the scene obviously plays without it. The scene, you know, it doesn't... It's not like, a, you know, the shot of the mountain getting hit with the mace. You can't remove that from the scene because then the scene doesn't really make sense. Right. It doesn't have continuity. This shot could have been removed from the scene and the scene would have made sense. But it's a shot that's, you know, well, you know it's about more than direct, making sense. The direct comparison here is the, uh, the when the, how the viper dies, right? Like that's a moment where they just show the they just show um, Oberyn's head exploding, right? Him crushing his head. And it's a great moment. It's 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 uh, hard to watch and it's gross and the rest of it, but um, there's nothing special about how it's shot. It's it's very ordinary. Um, yeah. And yeah, every shot just conveys plot information. Off. Correct. And here, this you know that that's not what's happening. Uh, and I think that you know that's and that's the kind of thing. I think it's interesting. I'm gonna have to go back and watch Spartacus with that in mind. But I think Spartacus had a lot of moments where they just let you absorb what just happened. Uh, like slow, they use slow motion a lot and speed ramps and that kind of thing, which. Um, you know, people have varying opinions on, but I think what one of the advantages that one of the advantages of it, how they use it in 300, for example, or Watchmen, but particularly in 300, is after something crazy happens, some things will slow down. So, like I remember one of the moments is um, in 300, Leonidas's rage, right, when he goes and just decimates like 10 people in a row, mm. uh, and the camera's just tracking along and following him. Um, it's speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down. But at the end of it, after he's done all of that. Um, he hits a guy onto the ground and then it slows down. So he walks up to him slowly and then stabs and then it speed ramps up again and it just gives you a chance to process it. And then I think after he does that, I don't remember if it goes to normal speed or if it goes to slow speed, but again, it, it gives you some breathing room to be like, holy crap, that just happened. That was cool. But also, you know, it, it, it just gives you some breathing room. And this moment also is like, wow, it, it gave me time to think about the implications of what just happened as opposed to just having it happen which in Game of Thrones happens way too much, where it's like, oh, somebody died, that's Game of Thrones, stuff happens, get used to it, yep. we're cool. You know, where here it's like, no, 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 we're going to slow down and be like, what is the implication of Cersei's main bodyguard killing one of the Faith Militant? That has real meaning, and so what, that can, what does that mean? So that's cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, right. So... Um, so we go back to we go back to River Run. I, I wanted to just mention something about this. I didn't mention it last episode, and then AV Club or someone beat it beat me to it. Uh, this scene last episode totally reminded me of Monty Python. I immediately thought oh, of that. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think I mentioned it to my my family because I was they were talking like, oh, did you see Game of Thrones yet? And I was like, oh yeah, I did. But I was because I, we're big Monty Python fans, so I I brought it up then, but I didn't mention it in the podcast, even though it was in my notes. So I wanted to mention it here. Um, where it didn't quite be, it wasn't quite as so evocative, but it's still, um, it still, it, it brought that to mind again. So 
thought that was funny. Hmm. Um, we get a lot of... Uh, it, I liked so much of Riveron this episode and then disliked probably the central point of it, um, which is annoying. So, like, I loved... I forgot how much I love Brienne and Jamie together uh, because... I just love their relationship. I think it's amazing. Everything that goes down in that in this scene is great, and I loved Bron and Pod, who we didn't we haven't really seen together much, if at all. I don't know. Um, mm. And just both of those dynamics are things we don't usually get, and um, are really strong. I think. Uh, and it was really what I really like. So, for example, the Bron and Pod stuff, right? Could it, it, you know, it's sort of broy and fratty and whatever. Uh, in some regard, in another regard, you know, he's teaching him a valuable lesson that's very different than anything Brienne would ever teach him. And I think that that's really cool. Now, of course, you know, I don't know that it's going to have any impact on how Pod fights with people in the future. Uh, maybe it will. But what is, what's cool about it is it reminds us what kind of person Brienne is, and Brienne's not even in the scene, you know? Uh, and it reminds us what kind mm-hmm. of person Braun is, but it really reminds us who, who Brienne is because he's like, she never would teach, she won't teach you this. And that just you know, maybe that'll be her downfall. Maybe she'll just be loyal to a fault. Like, like, um, and that's what's happened in the past, honestly, uh, for yeah. her. She just I hasn't mean, died as a result. Um, well, it's happened like for Ned, other, you know, characters. Yeah. Ned, as I was about to say, um, yeah. there's a certainly a running theme on game of Thrones, kind of, you know, someone's nobility, uh, failing them in that way. The, right. the this brown pod scene is another example of like, what, what this episode represents to me as just like, mostly just stalling and not all of the stalling bad uh you know like i enjoyed this scene i enjoyed their interplay i thought it was funny um but it's an example of but a this scene is the that... kind of this is the kind of thing you want like this was why this was why cora got better is because i had scenes like this instead of being plot from beginning to end like season one of cora you know which was just straight plot there wasn't there were almost no moments like this and i think that's what makes a stronger show because i actually care about these i cared about core is a lot shorter too. so much more because of it core is a lot shorter um like this you know like i said but I avatar still did it you know well, yeah but I, I enjoy i enjoyed this scene but you know i'm not saying it's bad i'm saying it's it, it is you know aberrant on game of thrones to have a lengthy scene First of all, to have a lengthy scene of just two characters uh, interacting that doesn't really have anything to do with uh, progressing their arcs or whatever, or progressing the plot. Um, but it's even, you know, it's even more of an aberration to have an episode that's made up almost entirely of those kinds of scenes. Um, so that's why, that's the only reason I'm going to keep harping on this as we keep talking, because, yeah, but not because these so scenes are bad, but just because it's just scene after scene after scene of just these characters talking to each other. And, I'm, you know, I say that, like, I, must, I sound like such a stupid critic <laughs> just saying that sentence. I hate that I just said that, you know. But I, like I said, I don't think these scenes are bad. I think it is um, kind of clumsy that they all happen in this one episode. I see what you're saying. I just... I would much rather have these scenes to remind us of these characters, especially if any of them are going to die, which I suspect maybe someone is, to give us that sense of um, personhood that we often lack in Game of Thrones. Like I, I st- like I've mentioned this before. I stopped caring about all these characters seasons ago because I, you know, if you're going to make, if you're going to, as the creator of this book or series or whatever, uh, if you're going to say nothing matters, everyone dies, it's all irrelevant, who cares, and this nihilistic, boring approach to the world, then why would I invest in anyone? Why would I ever care? Um, and so I stopped, you know, after, I don't remember, 
two or three people who I liked died, I eventually just gave up and said, you know what? Eh, I don't care anymore. Uh, and yet, you know, now, like, I feel like finally, if Brienne, you know, first of all, we haven't had any, I don't think too many major deaths. And if somebody like Brienne died now, I think I would be upset, uh, for the first time in a long time. Um, so, you know, I, I see a lot of value in these kinds of scenes. You're right, they could be spaced out more, maybe filtered throughout the uh, the season, but this was a good opportunity for it. It was important in how they showed, that it, it, because it was directly reflecting on something else that was going on. Like, they could have done this scene some other time, I guess, but when would they have done it? Um, in a way that you it directly refers to Brienne, what's going on. And um, and even more so, what it means to about Jamie, because if if Brienne gets along with Jamie and they have genuine respect for each other, then what is what does that mean about Jamie as a person too? So like this had so many impacts on, or it had so much implication for all these characters, and it only matters, in, and it only really works in the context of what's going on right now. Well, yeah, um, um, the, the Jamie Brienne scene is not the kind of scene I'm talking about. Not just because I think, you know, no, not Jamie Brienne. In- I'm talking about this is this is still Bron and Pod. Yeah, I, well, I'm not sure. I, I I kind of see what you're saying, but I I feel like everything you're saying is just it's communicated in the following scene with Jamie and Brienne, where we actually see Brienne talking. Um, but I do agree with you that uh, it really feels like the kind of scenes we'd get if these characters are about to be killed off. Um, we'll get to one of the scenes uh, very strongly evocative later on, but all a lot of these scenes feel like the kind of scenes that Game of Thrones does right before something terrible happens. Um, right. Where it's just kind of characters, you know, kind of relaxed, just be just existing, hanging out with each other, just talking to each other, just shooting right. the shit. Uh, and of course, and we were kind of conditioned to believe that something horrible is imminent. So I was kind of actually pretty surprised when something horrible didn't happen at the end of this episode. Um, just because it's been scene after scene of the kind of things we'd get uh you know i th- this scene with uh with uh pod and braun is so you know it's so like you say it's so broy and and just and and fun to watch these two characters i was totally prepared for you know a tully to shoot an arrow through braun's heart or pod um right. just cuz we had just gotten this scene so really maybe that's more the maybe in the grander once we see how the finale plays out and what happens to these characters um, and in the grander context of uh, the season, this episode will play better. Uh, just you, you, once we know what these scenes are kind of alluding to. Uh, but if they turn out to not really be alluding to anything at all, I'll kind of have the same feeling about this, which is like I enjoy the scenes, but I wish I just kind of want to. No, but I think it's get to I think the it stuff. Still has the, I think it still has the same. I still think it has the. I just want to reaffirm what I was saying because I think it's 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 different. So it's not. We know Brienne's loyal, and she follows her oath, and all the rest of it. Like we've heard her say that, but reminding us that that doesn't work <laughs> in the world of Game of Thrones. Like she's a great fighter, and I honestly I don't know how she hasn't lost to somebody like Bronn yet. And maybe she would. She keeps fighting knights or people like knights, you know, that kind of thing. Even the Hound is knightish. I don't even know. He might be a sir. Is he? I don't, um, I don't know if he's a knight. I I think he is because he was in the Kingsguard, wasn't he? No, no, maybe he wasn't. Oh, he feel... might. Yeah, he might have been the king's guard, and he certainly was in the. Um, he was in the tournament. Uh, yeah, he was a knight. Right. So yeah, yeah. So um, so he's she's not used to fighting people like that. But if Pod wants to survive, and he's not a knight, and he wants to, you know, survive in that world, um, he might. It may be that. So a lot of things could be happening here. They could be implying that Pod's going to have to live without Brienne and learn how to survive without Brienne, which is 
to say maybe learn to get down in the dirt a little bit. Um, it could be saying that Brienne's also it could also be saying or saying or, or be saying that uh, Brienne's loyalty is going to be her downfall. It could be suggesting that if that that Brienne really genuinely is good and it's going to be her downfall, and then that because she's connected with Jamie and that they get along, that that will affect Jamie. And because we get this little examination of Jamie's character a little bit later, which either refutes or confirms it, I can't even tell. Um, it, it's just very interesting interplay of like relative relative nobility, like you were saying, relative uh, goodness or um, loyalty kind of thing. And I, and I don't know how it's going to go. And it's, I did ask myself at the end of this, like, she really puts a lot of trust in someone who belongs to a family that seems to be fine with betraying just about anyone. Um, and I think that that's, you know, it didn't bite her in the butt this time, but it absolutely could in the future. Uh, maybe not from Jamie, but, you know, from someone else. So yeah, I, like- I just think that there was there was a lot more going on subtextually, I think. In this scene. Well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's only subtext. It'll only become subtext once we see what this, like I said, what this is alluding maybe, to. Maybe. Um, yes, we don't know. I, I certainly, I agree with a lot of what you're saying in terms of how it uh, represents uh, who Brienne is as a person and, and the way that it uh, shows what she's Because she been taught Pod. She's pod. been teaching Pod for a while. Yeah, I agree. So it, she it does reflect. She knows what she knows. Yeah, it, it does reflect on Brienne's character, but also, like I said, like we kind of get. The, the sum of that in her scene with Jamie, which is a much better scene, and they have a much more interesting relationship. Well, that's um, so also I don't wanna... really a great scene. It is a great scene, and what I love about it is that Jamie has this scene later in the episode with Edmure Tully where he reaffirm, like he, he, you know, he explicitly references the first thing we ever see, really see him do in the show, which is push Bran out the window. Um, he right, yeah, he uses that line. the same line, and yeah. he reaffirms himself as this. He kind of plays up, you know, as if he the season one Jamie is back and he's this sinister character. I only care about my sister. I don't, I'll right. kill anyone. I don't care. Um, but then we, you know, the scene at the end of the episode, but also this scene reminds us that it, it's not just it's 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 about how Brienne it feels sees like him. An act. That, yeah, the significance is how Brienne sees him and the fact that Brienne is not naive. She is capable of seeing through that and recognizing that there is a you know. He's not an evil person, and he is not going to just—he's uh, not going to kill Edmure just because, just to you know, screw with the Blackfish. He's not going to seek a violent solution to the situation. Right. If Brienne is going to offer him a peaceful one, um, and that's even I though wrote that I wrote—he's not—he's not a jerk. You know, he's—he negotiates. Um, so you know, it's because he's not a jerk, negotiating with him is reasonably operates like you know, like a human. Uh, yeah. And not a strategist like Blackfish or like a cutthroat trader like, you know, most of his family, um, yeah, I mean, which is, you I know, think, we, very different. Yeah, and it, it's development for his – I mean, this is the guy who, uh, you know, killed his cousin to, to try and escape prison in season two. True. It's, he's a very different character than he was then, and it's – he tries to pretend to be that character to Edmure, but uh, it's Brienne It feels like who, an act, right? It feels not exactly. Real. We know it, and yeah, at this point, we know it's an act, because even though this does resemble a character we once knew, we've just gotten the scene with Brienne, and we know that, because of her, that he's not that person anymore, and right. um, he, that it ultimately plays out. Uh, that, or at the very least, you know, he has the he capacity isn't. to be decent. Yeah, exactly. he did it, right. Um, I love that he lets her keep the sword, and that, that whole thing was great, too. That was a good moment. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I, I like this a lot. Um, before we come back to to Edmure, uh, I don't really, I don't know if I have much else to say about that anyway. But um, 
but uh, we go to King's Landing and we get the scene in the uh, the throne room, which I just want to say, um, this is when we find out that there's going to be no trial by combat. Uh, I said this, I think, two podcasts ago. Uh, that That's right. No yeah. Way he was going to allow that. And of course, yep. he's not allowing trial right. by combat. And that also means no Clegane Bowl in that regard. It could still happen, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's pretty clear at this point that they are going to have a... Con- like, there's, you, just, you wouldn't bring the Hound back if you weren't going to have him confront his also-resurrected right. brother. I'm sure. In some way. But that way. might not be till next season, you know? Yeah, pro- it probably won't be till next season, and it probably... It certainly won't be in the context of the uh, trial by combat, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, they're going to... Interact in well, some it's way, funny, though, because you were saying, like, it's such a small, why would you give a character arc to this or a whole episode to this character? Or why would you? And yet it looks like they're building towards not only that, he's going to have his place in the finale season, you know, um, yeah. like he that will be one of the major character moments, I'm sure. Um, Wait, fight, I mean, so. they've been building they've been building since season one the, about, you know, uh, Sander and Gregor and their, you know, to, to put it lightly, you... contentious relationship. But you know what's funny about that? Like, nothing about his life seems to... I mean, his he, the way it started it seemed to be related to the mountain, but his conflict now is over good and bad and bad people and things like that. And I don't know, unless the mountain does something directly to him now, I don't know that it really makes a whole lot of sense. And also, I don't know... I know he's alive now, um, the mountain, but he's not, like, the same character, really. It feels very different, like a, you know remnant because even remember who the hound is why would he care he hasn't said anything as far as we know he's completely useless um so killing him like might be cathartic but i don't know that it's actually yeah i mean we'll see how they said it's possible that he you know he's kind of we don't know how if he he might stay with the brotherhood the brotherhood might um be right now that they've been introduced they might be a faction that has you know he and the mountain uh might be put on opposite sides of a greater conflict i think True, yeah, right, and then it might make more sense. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I would love so, a moment, of, like in a big battle episode, like the moment that you always have, where the the two people find each other on the battlefield, and right. they have just a one on one showdown. That would which be absolutely so cool. Yeah, that kind of thing happens in Spartacus constantly. <laughs> oh my god, it's all about that. Um, mostly because there's not that many characters. Like they they don't have big ba- they have big battles where like lots of Romans die and they're kind of faceless. But the 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 um the gladiators are a small group so you know basically all of them so their clashes with people who are sort of like mini bosses or big bosses are always really (laughs) intense and cool which is fun um but anyway so uh so there's a first of all i just wanted why is kevin lannister going along with all of this he seems to not care yeah like what this is what we were talking about earlier in the season the whole small council i don't understand what they're thinking in any way completely complicit yeah yeah and especially kevin lannister like Kevin Lannister was not introduced as a stupid character, right? Right. He was introduced as someone who was very shrewd and, uh, you know, I don't know. Who just didn't have time probably for Probably smart. Nonsense. It's like, yeah, he, yeah. He, like, you know, very, uh, uh, he was all about, you know, uh, in a very similar to Tywin, more about efficiency than anything else. And just like, all right, you know, right. this is what we're going to do. And it's because I know that this is going to work. And just someone who's, you know, calculated, but not, uh, Sin- maybe not sinister, certainly not stupid enough to continue to go along, unless this is all about self-preservation for him, which is possible. We don't know enough about him to gauge that. Um, yeah, Kevin. It seems odd. Now that the Tyrells are kind of out of the picture, yeah, this we're kind of left with Kevin Lannister as 
this uh, avatar of, for me, the King's Landing story kind of falling to pieces this season. It's kind of, it, They've built it back up in the past few episodes. But, you know, Kevin represents basically... Um, and I, I, I smirk a little bit every time I say the name Kevin Lannister. We've talked about this a lot, but it's still funny. Right, just Kevin Lannister. Name, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, he is just this representation of everything that has kind of... Just the nonsensical weirdness of it. Yeah, go, yeah gone wrong with this storyline. And, you know, I don't know. He'll, they'll, they'll probably, I'm sure whatever, however this storyline goes out, I doubt he'll survive <laughs> just because he's, right. you know, he's, he's, he was always a small character, but he's, the show has made him a useless character by making him so stupidly uh, subservient to the whims of the High Sparrow and without any real explanation for that. Yeah, it's like he has no interest. He doesn't have the same interest in preserving his house uh, that Cersei does? Really? It's Yeah, right, it's exactly. Cersei, who is, as we discussed, perhaps not a Lannister, but again, everyone sees her as a Lannister. Anyway, um... Mm. But yeah, also so, like um so just quickly on the trial by combat thing, it's interest it was interesting to see a moment of like if you look throughout history you see a lot of moments where religious text especially with like popes, popes do this constantly where they'll they'll just decree um that religious text uh god meant something different. <laughs> like right, popes right, did right. this all the time and because they're the pope it's like well yeah, it's their authority. They know what they know what's up. Um so it's funny to see a moment like this in real time where we've been told right. for six seasons that trial by combat is such that the winner it's of trial by combat ordained, right? yeah, is deemed by... The the reason they won is because the gods granted them the ability to win as a show that they're, uh, the person that they were representing is innocent. Uh, right, but and, then suddenly when the best fighter, Loris, is there and could be in the trial by combat and then the mountain, who obviously is a tank... Uh, is in the yeah, possibly part of that, then they're like, oh, you know what? Uh, the gods yeah, are well, it's like, differently. This should be... If it were me, and I was just a person in King's Landing, I would be thinking, like, well, if trial by combat doesn't mean anything, does that mean Tyrion was innocent? Does that mean all these trial by combats, like, didn't mean anything throughout history? Right. All these people who were, prob- you know, put to death? <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Like, retroactively, does that... Yeah, yeah, it does that apply? Yeah, well, that happens. So- that, that's what happens when a religious institution, you know, like the Catholic Church, for example, or plenty of groups have certainly um, led, you know, have, have punished people for various crimes or alleged crimes uh, that then, um, you know, retroactively are not crimes. So it's like, I guess they're absolved. But, you know, they're dead. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess that's the idea here is that, like, you know, in the afterlife, they are now guilty. Or in the afterlife, the people <laughs> lost are not necessarily wrong. Good for you. You know, like, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's funny to see that uh, a little bit a little bit odd. And then we have this quick moment a little bit later uh, about a little rumor that is supposed to be investigated, that Kyburn was investigating. Yeah. They don't really... They uh, don't show their hand on that, but I presumably that's going to come back in the finale. What do you think is going on with this? Do you do you have any guesses? Because I I have a, I think I know what it is. I think I know um, what it is. Do you want to say it at the same I, time on the count of three? <laughs> that sounds like a terrible idea because if it's not, it'll be awkward. Um, okay, but it'll anyway. it'll be but it'll be funny if it's if if it's not the same thing. Okay, so that I, is I'm true. gonna we're gonna count to three and then say it right. Okay, but do we do we do it on three or after three? After three. After three. Okay, ready. One, two, three, wildfire. Wildfire. Oh, nice. Cool. All right. Yep. Good. Okay. Yeah. So we're on the same. Yeah, that was my assumption. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whew. 
Oh man. Cuz yeah, like we said tense. earlier <laughs> um, I think I think Wildfire uh just because we saw Brand's um visions uh exactly. of Wildfire, so I guess that's sort of the presumption here that that yeah, we didn't say King's Landing with her, which by the way is hilarious because we're kind of like what are what is anybody in King's Landing? It's like cabin fever in there. Everyone keeps, <laughs> seems to be repeating the same thing over and over again. It's taken over by religious <laughs> zealots. They don't seem to have any role in the final battle between the White Walkers and you know humanity. They seem to be completely yeah. useless. So How really, just removing it from the plot is the most logical thing to do. Why not mm-hmm. just blow everything up? <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it's so funny, you know, if you had gone back to season one and said uh, King's Landing is going to be totally irrelevant to the end game of the show, right. and by the way, <laughs> it's just going to blow up in season six. Well, it's would have the very crazy. emblem of the, of, the, of the distraction of the Battle of yeah. the Kingdoms, right? It's the very emblem of, of like, because remember in the first season, all we wanted to say is like, who cares about this? The White Walkers are real. It doesn't matter stop it and we've been thinking that for seasons now and if king's landing goes it's like yes good king's landing's gone and now and with it maybe the the symbolism of of that whole thing and it makes daenerys not be focused on that maybe she can refocus on you know what she's gonna you know forming a triumvirate or whatever of of targaryens or whatever she's gonna do do you oh my god do you remember in season two when she has that vision of being in the throne room and it looks like there's, you know, it's all busted it's like up snowy, and there's holes right? in the roof. And we thought it's yeah. snow. Maybe it's ash. Ooh. Maybe it is ash. Or maybe it's that... just maybe it's just winter after I mean, it's been destroyed. It could be either. But yeah, she does see a vision of uh, the throne room completely obliterated. Maybe that's what it's going to... Would it be really funny is if that's what it was, but it doesn't actually look like that because they changed the set? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and by the way, speaking of visions... I love that whole sequence was great. It was one of the few things in season two I really liked, um, like of this of the big moments. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, they have so much opportunity to sprinkle in random, like abstract, cool, artsy moments that we can just assume at this point are brands' visions, just to like mm-hmm. stoke fires and sort of be interesting. Um, which I think they did a little bit in the first, the first season with um, with the Three Eyed Raven and things like that. But I feel mm-hmm. like they're not really taking advantage of that the way I thought they would. I agree. Um, well, I mean, they, you know, did away with the Three-Eyed Raven halfway through the season, and with that, right. presumably Bran's ability to tap into this stuff. But I agree with you. It's kind of a waste of... I mean, I assume that at some no, point... No, he's still maybe tapping the into it or, well after he dies. I mean, yeah, well, I I think it's safe to assume that either in the finale or in, or next season we'll see the other half of that uh, vision with uh, young Ned, cause just because it, it leaves off on a very deliberate cliffhanger True. as he's walking up the towers. So we'll probably see the end of that. We might get that um, information but, later, though, from someone else. That's true. Like, it's just, I mean, it's, they're just yeah, trying to like, get someone... some people who don't like don't know about that theory to sort of come to a conclusion themselves so they can be like, oh, I wonder if that's the case. Because not everyone just sits around reading those things or read the books, you know? I mean, yeah, it's and it's certainly... I think that it might be hard to... We won't say what the theory is just because it's probably right. <laughs> but it's... I don't know how hard it will be to communicate. We, haven't we said it before? Have we might Maybe we did last season, but you can look up R plus L equals J if you're curious. Uh, right. But just be warned, like, it's almost certainly a spoiler, um, probably for this finale. But How can yeah, it be a spoiler? It, I, it's a theory. Nobody knows if it's true. It's just a guess. I mean, but that's the that's the weird thing about this specific theory is like 
it, at least in the books, it's like it's almost certainly true. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Interesting. So if you're okay with reading a theory that's not Varys is a merman and, and just kind of silly nonsense, <laughs> um, and if you're okay with reading a theory that is very probably what is going to happen to, to the degree that it, you might as well call it a spoiler. It might it might not happen, maybe. But I could like, have sworn we talked about this. I'm I think maybe we did last season at the end of last season. Listen, I don't okay, remember, there, I know there's people who who listen to our po- who actually listen to our podcast. Um, apparently we're not. <laughs> them um so if you do and you're like oh you idiots you talk about this all the time then feel free to let us know in the comments i have no recollection i just feel like i've definitely said something about john's heritage multiple times i don't know well, if we've I talked said about who. john you know being a targaryen possibly that you know that being a theory um right. and that it's related to that certainly but you know so in any case you know i think we'll probably see how the uh maybe that'll be other... a reveal in the last episode Exactly, yeah. Or, but I, or it, next episode because of the bastard thing. Maybe. Oh, well, that would be very interesting if that, if they cut away from the battle or, or they end the episode. Uh, With a vision. Like, or... it, well, it would be more unexpected if they spend the entire episode at this one battle and we're just, you know, that's something we're kind of used to. Uh, and then at the end... Oh my! All of a sudden, Bran is back. You know, for the first time in like two or three episodes. Oh, we're with Bran. Why are we with Bran? Oh, his eyes are turning white. What's happening? That right. would be pretty cool. That could be cool, or um, you know, they cut away like just as it looks like John's about to lose in the middle of a fight, and uh, then um, they cut to the scene and they show it, and then he come back to him and he's gone Super Saiyan, and oh, uh, he oh, that would be so starts great. breathing fire. No. <laughs> no, but they could do that. Or, or another way to do it is, um, you know. If they're gonna, they look like they're doing the unburnt thing. So that's another way to do it to um, have him, you know, have like yeah. he's trying to scale Winterfell and they pour fire on him or something and it doesn't kill him. Or, <laughs> I don't, something. There's a lot of ways to do it uh, where it's just Jon yeah. Snow fighting like naked in the snow. Um, you know, who knows? <laughs> Ramsey's entire know. army is gonna come armed with those braziers from the uh, yeah, from right, the and, just, and they're just and gonna tip them over right at the wildlings. Them. Right, just tip them. <laughs> Just tip them, and they'll catch the snow. Will catch fire randomly for no reason. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so where where even were we? Oh, okay. So then we go to Marine. Speaking of Daenerys. Um, right. Uh, yes. Oh, do we do that yet? Oh, we don't do that just yet. Sorry. That we get the last bit of River Run. So, I like I said, I liked the lead up to this. I liked the negotiation. Um, but then I completely no. We do we do get the scene. I'm oh no. We do get the scene with Tyrion. I think, and then there's another scene at the end with Daenerys. Oh, so this is the one where he has no friends, right? And he's trying to make friends with yeah, exactly. Um, right, right, with uh, Grey Worm and Masande. So I gotta say, in this scene, I really liked it too. Um, them trying to tell jokes, that was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really wanted to see how Tyrion's last joke would go over, uh, but he didn't get to finish it. Um, but the other thing I thought was really interesting is. Uh, you know, Grey Worm smiling? I think Masande smiled in the past. I don't think we've ever seen Grey Worm smile. Yeah. You know, even like even when he's like he was expecting expe- expressing interest in Masande, he very clearly uh was it was extremely restrained. And um and by the way, I also thought it was really interesting that Tyrion pointed out that, you know, like why don't you drink? Because, you know, by what rules? Who set the rules? Is this people who owned you, why do you follow their mm-hmm. rules? Um, and then it's a question of identity and like, you know, if we don't, if we just drink and do whatever we want and we don't, um, you know, if we're not castrated, if all these things don't happen, then are we still unsullied? I know they're not rules we set, but like, that's our identity now. So 
you know, and it's an interesting question for sure. Uh, I don't know why Miss Sande doesn't drink. That was a bit weird. She's a translator. I don't know why she wouldn't have had even slaves in like, for example, ancient Rome certainly had like access to alcohol. It wasn't necessarily. Well, she says she doesn't like the taste, right? She says she had wine once, but she didn't like the taste. Okay, so it's not like it's forbidden. She's just not into it. Yeah, yeah. Then he's kind of, he kind of pressures them. There's a little little pressurey there. It's like, just yeah, drink it, it anyway. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Because, well, well, Tyrion's okay. been trying to get them to drink, like, all season. Like, this is an arc he has, Tyrion this season. This is trying is to get arc, these two yeah. to drink. Um, he drinks and he knows things. Yeah, there you go. So, well, that's, you know, um, what's what? weird about this scene for me is that Tyrion, speaking of his arc, Tyrion's whole storyline this season is largely about, like, how bored he is. <laughs> <laughs> like how many we've gotten the scene uh, similar scenes a lot where just just you know aside from the um you know the, the political stuff in marine we get all these scenes where he just like he has no one to interact with besides Varys and now Varys is gone um, right well and I think it's significant to show how much he see, like that's a, the other reason I like that earlier scene we do get a little bit of a payoff already just in seeing that you know that they're sort of you know, like, oh, you know, we, we're not going to get emotional about not seeing each other again because we don't want to, like, tip our hand and reveal that we actually are friends or anything. Um, but then we see that clearly he's deeply missing Varys because he has no one to talk to now. Um, and I think that's... It's kind of a fun fun moment in that regard. Um, I don't know if... Did, yeah, I don't know. Did you get Tyrion's joke, by the way? Because I'm going to be straight up. I did not get the punchline. I don't even remember his joke, to be honest. His, his, the whole thing is, you know, it's a Lannister, a Dornishman, and a Stark walk into a tavern, not a bar, a tavern, um, and they eat right, right. soup, and they all they all has a fly in it, and the Dornishman like eats it and says it's a del or whatever, and the Lannister demands another one, and the Stark picks out the fly and he says, "Spit it out." Uh, <laughs> oh, right, understand. right, spit it out. I, I don't I think get it's what a, the joke it's, was. It's a joke that the, the it's a it's a joke about a stereotype that we don't have any access to. As exactly, it's a little weird. But the stereotype is, I guess, that the Northerners are cheap. Maybe. And oh, so he wants... that could be it. I I was oh, thinking I, maybe that's it's... what I thought it was when it when it happened. It was just like you know they're yeah. they're thrifty, so they it... want <laughs> they want the... you know they want they want their alcohol back because they paid for a full glass. Yeah, I I thought maybe it was that Northerners are paranoid because when he says spit it out, I thought he was like maybe, like he thought the fly was spying on him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I don't I don't think so. Although, yeah, but no, you're but right. I think, it, I think it was that. Yeah, much it's just like, like the no one's ever said they were cheap before, so I don't exactly. know where that came from. Well, it's a missed opportunity, I think, because like we talked about the play and their depiction of Ned, there's an implication yeah. that Northerners are stereotyped in certain ways that we just don't really have any experience with because most so many of the characters are north so if they had just linked it it would have made this joke work better exactly yeah if it had been you know if this joke had been that the the stark is just a bumbling hick like ned was portrayed to be in the play then the joke would have played to the audience but you know i guess on another level you know first of all maybe there were people who got the joke i didn't look it up i should um but also the the real joke of that moment is that uh gray worm and masande don't laugh so right you know, typically when a scene like that happens, we're supposed to get the joke, the audience. Um, but I, you know, I kind of like, I guess, in this moment. It's that better we're on when the, the joke. In. It's better when the joke is actually funny, uh, because yeah. then you're laughing, and it's even funnier that they're not laughing. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the joke is fine. I mean, I get it. It's just it builds on something we just don't know about. 
What's cool, though, on the other hand, is it links. It refers to some piece of the world. Again, we still don't know everything about the Game of Thrones world. We don't know what the northern, what the southerners talk about when they refer to the northerners, except for that play, which would have been an opportunity to do that. But in general, we just don't have that knowledge, um, because we only know the houses who treat who who view. So the houses have stereotypes about each other, but the the Lannisters, like aside from thinking it's rustic and sort of whatever dingy, they don't really have an opinion about the North. It doesn't seem like. Whereas we might have gotten a bigger um or more obvious thing from like again the the lower class might have had more opinions about the generally the north because they don't care what the starks are like but they're like oh northerners are like this because i met one once and he was a jerk you know or he was cheap and that's something that you know we didn't really we don't really get but it's sort of something that trickled i guess upwards to Tyrion, and now he's telling this joke and nobody knows what it is um, I also I, I I laugh I the moment I laughed in this scene the most is when Masande tells her joke and it's a joke about translators. Oh yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was the funniest thing in the whole scene. The idea that's so of, dark. Of course, too, that's her sense yeah. of humor. Yeah, and, and it's yeah, it's really dark. Um, it's dark and it, not really a joke, just kind of depressing. Yeah, <laughs> but the, yeah, the funniest thing to me is the idea that her kind of the jokes that she knows are just. The jokes that are, because everyone knows jokes, you know, specific to their experience, right, I guess. Right, but right. It, it's funny the idea that translators have their own like in jokes. Well, it wasn't clear if that was that or if she came up with it. I couldn't tell. Um, I guess, yeah, it could be. It could be either. I guess. Um, by the way, I was totally taken by surprise by this sudden attack. I didn't expect this to happen at all. Yeah, well, this is um, the scene I was I was alluding to earlier. This scene reminded me a lot of the scene in the Mountain and the Viper where Jamie and Tyrion are talking before the fight. Um, and he's talking about smashing the Beatles, or the you know the cousin who smashed the Beatles. Ooh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, people hate that scene. Even now, really? I I see people saying how much they hate. Cause, yeah, because people loved back. It. I know I did too. But back in season, no, no, four, you did. I was saying you you loved it. I remember that a lot. From yeah, yeah, we talked about it. We we covered that's that. right. Yeah, but I remember back in season four, especially in me. This was more book purist probably, but I remember people would get mad at anything that was like even. V- a little bit extraneous because they were like, "Oh, they spent time on this scene, but they couldn't do such and such character." Right, I guess, right, of course. which is a which is stupid. But like people it have that has you know in the time that's passed since that scene, it's just translated into now the common wisdom is that just that scene is bad. But it's not. It's a great scene, and it's great because it is a moment. This moment of quiet and just this moment of discussion. And just these two people, you know, before we know that something is about to happen that could be horrible for Tyrion, it's just this moment of like just for the first time not for the first time but for this rare moment two char- these two characters just talking about something that has nothing to do with the plot that has nothing to do with what's about to happen well, they're just talking but there was the, and that, in that scene with the Beatles though the implication was that maybe he's sort of a stand-in for George R. R. Martin killing his characters off I no well I didn't I, I thought that was a, I didn't get that interpret. I think I think the scene had existential that's what some people said I don't know yeah I know but I mean that was a that was I think a shallow interpretation I, I, I think the scene did have more meaning than people ascribe. People think it's just a scene where he's talking about nonsense, you know, wasting time. But I think the scene, you know, where he's ta- he is talking about, I don't think he's talking about George R. R. Martin, but he is talking about the way that this, the universe, his universe, uh, sure, just yeah. kind of kills people wantonly. Um, you know, right. I, I shouldn't say shallow, cause, but I, you know, ascribing it as a literal metaphor for George R. R. Martin, I, I think is not a, a great interpretation, but... <laughs> Generally, sure, I guess it, I guess mainly the, the nihilism of the world and and, and exactly. it's what George R. R. Martin decided nihilism. would be the Game of Thrones tone and you know that's yeah what yeah got. but it, the, my yeah it's, but this scene reminded me of that scene because it's a scene where it's just characters talking to each other not about the plot not about you know whatever's immediately going to happen it's just them 
having conversations in a way that Game of Thrones doesn't usually let its characters do. And in the case of the Mountain and the Viper, it was a moment of, you know, the calm before the storm where something horrible was about to happen. So I got the sense as this scene progressed that something horrible was about to happen. Oh, that's funny. Um, but you seem to have so that the whole episode anyway, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was having that the whole episode, but I guess I think it was specifically because it was Tyrion I was reminded of this scene, and I'm thinking, mm. like, is are they going to kill off one of these characters right now? Like, is someone, is this room going to explode for some reason? And it kind of did, because, you know, kinda yeah, did. the masters are... I, I I thought this was the Greyjoys for a second, which would have been insane if the Greyjoys had already built all their ships. Right, but they but wouldn't no, be attacking. The but what's cool, though, is that the Greyjoys are clearly right behind and will clearly play into this final uh, Yeah, thing. yeah. By the way, do you think in the next episode we could have a little bit of this naval battle going on at the same time as what's going on in Westeros? That could be cool. That would be cool. Oh, well, it would be a uh, it would be a battle of ice and a battle of fire, wouldn't it? Ooh, yeah, and also intercontinental as well. That would be a great contrast. That would be, you know what? I don't think they will do that, but just because the episode's called the Battle of the Bastards, I think they're going to focus on that one. But if it were me, that's absolutely what I would have done because, like we talked <laughs> about at the beginning, like like we talked about at the beginning, these battles. M- they probably work better when it's when they don't have to carry a whole episode. So I love, yeah, I and, love that idea of cutting back and forth. Between and you them. draw direct parallels between Daenerys and Jon, which is also a, a exactly a, a and you get the ice and ice and fire motif, which is you know sure. the last time I got a big battle that was done pretty pretty clumsily, uh, right. like we talked about. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, that would have been really cool. Now we're gonna be just disappointed no matter what happens because it's not gonna. Yeah. Be <laughs> um. Okay. So uh, I I know it cuts back to. Uh, it goes back to River Run. Before we talk about that, let me just finish up the scene because it they cut away and come back to it. So let's do it anyway. Um, sure. First of all, uh, I love that the ships look like Fire Nation ships, which is kind of cool. And I love the effect <laughs> of them shooting catapults, which is cool. Fire Nation being from Avatar. I don't know if nobody. I don't know if people watch Avatar, but of course. Um, yeah. So Fire Nation ships, and that's what they, that's what they kind of look like. But I just love the effect of the catapults and stuff. It's it's just new and different. I dug that. Um, and. Uh, the other thing I like about this scene is, A, it directly implies that the Greyjoys are going to show up and kick butt. Um, although maybe not, because the way this ends is with this, probably Daenerys' best entrance in seasons at this point. Uh, this was, I love this moment. I don't know if you mm. liked it as much as I did, but I loved it. I did too. It. People hated it, though. I gotta say. What? What, because People she didn't show like... up in fire or some dumb crap like that? Well, or they didn't I, show I think the dragon? I think it's because it's played as this, you know awesome epic moment but like it is just you know it's her walking through a door and you know that in real life there wasn't a dragon behind her <laughs> um it just it, it, i agree I on it. a sense that i i get how some people felt like you know they they really felt the set in this scene um because Blah. the dragon because nah. you just hear the dragon and you don't really it's just in the background and she just you know, kind of if you only ever see on the, the dragon then it doesn't feel i mean there's there's a lot to be said for just having something interact with the world in a way that you might not expect that also you know like if a dragon was walking around a city let's say there's a city let's imagine a world where there's a city where dragons live right and you're not focused on the dragons you're focusing on the humans in the city regularly you'd feel like you'd feel the ground the ground vibrating you might not see them but that would be what it would be like to live in a world where dragons are walking around right so that's the well, kind i agree of thing, with you you know what i mean that's like, that's, I like if scene. i were to make a show about drag like if i would or to make you know how to train your dragon like in a diff- very different context i might sh- direct it like that where we don't see the dragons all the time but sometimes we just have little hints that they exist um just like you don't see horses everywhere, you just you hear horses in the background in a western. You don't need to see them for them to be real, right? And so I think we've seen the dragon a thousand times now. Why not have him just land on the roof? 
Who cares? No, I agree. I, I like this introduction because it is, you know, for, you know, it, it is unexpected. It is another example of a. Uh, and I, it's <laughs> different than the last five times when she's had a moment. Yeah, exactly. And it's also it it, it is um, not a red herring. It, you know, it is a uh, or not a twist either. But you know, it's you a bait think and switch. That, you think that the that the shaking is the masters attacking because that's how it was right. established in the previous scene. So the fact that it's Daenerys and the dragon is is genuinely surprising. And it's a nice well, like oh, it's a yeah, double bait here. and switch. First, they sort of imply that the Greyjoys yeah. are going to be there because of the boats, and then mm-hmm. they also imply that the the you're right, it's a catapult or whatever hitting the it's like a boulder is hitting the the roof, and it turns out to not be the Greyjoys, and it's in fact Daenerys and her dragon. Like, whoa, total switch! Mm-hmm. Um, and the show so rarely surprises me, you know, surprises us that you know it was it was exciting when it happened. I think. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I like this, and I like the way it ended. Uh. So going back to River Run. So this right. is this is this is the the part that I didn't like about River Run, uh, the middle part, uh, and that is I don't know what the plan was. Send Edmure in, and he'll just shut everything down for no reason, even though he could lock himself up in River Run. I don't know what Jamie supposedly sold him, but I didn't even understand his plan. And then it f- unfolded, and it was like, what impetus did he have to his honor, his word to go in it? Why wouldn't he just hole up with the Blackfish? Um, that was bizarre. What was even more bizarre was the Blackfish sacrificing himself at the end. Like, you're way, you're never going to be useful as a, a combatant, and apparently you're so prideful you care about River Run this much, as opposed to a helping your kin, which he flatly refuses to do, mm-hmm. or uh, which we didn't even talk about, I guess. Um, but he completely ignores that, even when he finally believes that it's Sansa. He's like, whatever, I can't help her. And then mm-hmm. clearly, his value as a strategist is huge. Uh, and I understand your reputation, like, you know, if he escapes twice, then it's like, oh, do you just run from things? But, like, I I totally follow the Firefly, you know, Malcolm Reynolds model of, if you can fight another day, do it. You know, get away, come back later when you have, like, the capacity to actually do something about it. Because right now, dying isn't helping anyone. Um, and he just goes, no, I'm going to do this, and, like, you know, runs off in the opposite direction and dies off screen. Yeah, well, Why? it's the... It's the definite. This whole everything in River Run is like the definition of anticlimax, right? Like, well, it's not, it's what came to nothing. This entire thing came yeah. to nothing except for like the Jamie. Maybe the Jamie Brienne thing was the climax of this whole arc. I don't know. I mean, yeah, their scene, you know, where uh, she's sailing away, I think, is really what this River Run stuff is coming to. Yeah, but the fact that it was, you know, it, this is a a thing that stretched out over two episodes right. of this, you know, see, you know. You know, about to be siege, possibly, and they're trying everything they can to. You know, I wouldn't. It's not the the fact that it ended without fighting that I'm upset about. It's the fact that it ended with Edmure walking into the building and telling everyone to stand down. Um, right. Over it, you know. For, again, and it for took no, long, you know, with no. Did he have any reason to do that? Once he got in, he could have just holed up, right? Yeah, it's it's not. Yeah, it's not clear why. You know, because Jamie says to him like, oh, "I'll, you know, I'll rip off all of your heads to get back to Cersei if I have to." But like, it's right. And I get why Edmure might have been, you know, threatened by that. But Edmure's not stupid. He has to know that they can hold out if they need to. Yeah, it's and idiotic. That, yeah, and that they're not going to – they can't kill him because he's a valuable political prisoner. So I assumed he was like – he had like a like a bomb on him or he had like – I don't know. I couldn't figure out what was what, – did he have something on him? Was he going to – nope, his keeps is going to go in, tell everyone to stand down, and that was their big master plan. Wow. Why would anybody follow that? Um. It was just bizarre. I did like the the sailing away in the boat. It was a great moment. I love the wave. I love the whole thing. It was very good. Um, I just and it was cool that he waves with his gold hand. I think which 
calls back to when he lost the hand, which was for her, mm-hmm. which I don't think he ever really forgets. And it's hard to, rem- you know, we don't remember that in the show because it was seasons ago. But like that's that's how he lost the hand, and I, you know, that's he gets reminded of that every day. So um, I think that's cool. Yeah. You know, um, I wouldn't have been so moment. bothered just... by. Yeah, I wouldn't have been so bothered by the way this resolves. Um, this, you know, might sound kind of backwards, but if you know, if we cared more about the Blackfish and Edmure and River Run, if we had spent any time at all with these characters or in this place, like, I wouldn't have been so bothered by this because we might have had a context for why this is significant to these people right. as people. Right. Um, and e- even though it would have been resolved very kind of quietly and, a li- and maybe disappointingly, um, it, it would have, we would have known that what it meant to the Blackfish, what it meant to Edmure, what it meant to River Run for this to be the way it went down. It would have meant right. something in general, but because we don't really have any connection to these people at all, we don't know who they are. Re- we don't spend any time with them. It's like it's just a thing that happens, and it's really just pretext, like we said, for what the conclusion with Jamie and Brienne. That's all that really matters about anything that happened in River Run. So, and it doesn't move. It, it doesn't move the plot forward at all with Sansa's stuff. Like he just—they don't get Blackfish or exactly. the uh, or the Knights of the Vale. So why did they do this? Um. So yeah, the, the whole thing was a little disappointing and anticlimactic. And also, my, I wouldn't even mind if it was anticlimactic, but like both Edmure's decision and Blackfish's decision are so bizarrely, like they lack any sort of meaning or like reason. Uh, so it just you yeah. know it felt frustrating in that regard. Um, and and the you know and the, it's really all capped off by this moment where the where the Blackfish dies off screen, like you know, could you? That's how little he more, matters, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. More ignominy is end for this character who was introduced in a really cool way and has seemed and is for as much as we've seen him seemed like a cool character the fact that they're just like oh he's dead by the way uh, you right. know of all shows to do that game of thrones the fact that they don't you know, revel in the death of a character the fact that they were yeah but would it have been good avoidant. to be like i'll hold them off you you go away you know like that whole stupid yeah. thing i mean i don't know if i would have i mean we've, that. yeah we've gotten that scene multiple times in this show too and in a thousand different versions yeah of exactly different, you know Mass Effect 3, as we said. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so going back, so we go back to the Hound. Um, he's uh, he he's about to kill more people. He re- he runs into Beric Dondarrion. It turns out, as we thought, the Brotherhood hasn't changed its code. Um, and yeah, talk about a into... talk about a red herring from last yeah. week. Yeah. Which is kind of cool, though. It, it brings them together in an interesting way. And Beric Dondarrion apparently has no hard feelings, and they're like, no, 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 you should join <laughs> us. We're good. Um, which I think is cool. And what's even cooler is, you know, at first this starts out, and I'm like, this is interesting but weird. Um, and then, you know, I love the idea that this is what's coolest about this moment is, first of all, the, the Brotherhood's changed their focus, which means they might join John, which is cool, to fight the White Walkers. Um, because clearly that's their new focus, and it seems like they actually know what the problem is, which is very interesting and new, um, that a red priest seems to have his head screwed on straight. Um, so that's one thing that's new, but what's even cooler is how this ties back to Ray, right? So Ray died, so he's not involved in this, and I guess it kind of makes sense now that he being him being around might have complicated things, so, although it would have been fine to have him sort of tagging along for all this. It's been kind of cool, but yeah. what he said we're left to remember what he said, which was that, you know, it doesn't matter what gods you follow as long as you're doing the right thing. So in other words, uh, here, just to put it in concrete terms, it didn't matter if you were following the seven or if you were following the red God or whatever, but 
the White Walkers are the bad guys here, and we need to be working together to do that, whatever you believe in. And that's basically what the Red Priest is arguing. And he has a similar redemption arc of, like, you know, I was just some guy, and then, you know, I somehow became a priest. I got the ability to resurrect people. So, you know, like, weird stuff is happening, but I'm just trying to do the best I can with what I have as a person and rebuild my identity. And so certainly you can do that and this is a real this is a good cause to fight for so you should join us it's such a compelling argument and such an interesting way to reinvolve the hound in the central plot yeah uh so uh the first thing i want to say is that uh i love the argument over how many of them the hound gets to kill and right. the negotiation of how he has to kill it's such a darkly comic like structure for this it scene, is a good it's, moment it's a good moment yeah, it, Game of Thrones, like it, it always, it always uh, really hits. Uh, you know, it, it's it, it goes for comedy a lot, but I think it always hits when it's doing a scene like this where it's very, even more so um, with the Hound, who almost always exactly delivers yeah the comedy, which is funny. Yeah, like scenes where it's just the you know grotesquerie of this uh, medieval world where people die in horrible ways all the time, but treated with a kind of um, deadpan uh, comic edge. It, it, this scene is a perfect example of that. The you know the, the idea that they're kind of bartering over uh, how these people are going to die. Well, they're just standing right there, about to die. It's so 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 dark, but it's so funny. Well, and it count it directly contrasts. I'm in my opinion directly contrasts with the scene at, at the wall where um, John hangs the traitors, which is so serious and not funny at yeah. all. And it's the same thing, right? <laughs> What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I guess we don't know these characters, so that's why. But you know, we linger on it for just as long, and he kicks them out individually and watches them die, and all he's all they're talking about is death. If they had done that with the characters at the wall, it would have been, we would have been horrified, and like you, I'm sure you would have hated that, and you know. But this is just, <laughs> well, I don't care about these characters, so whatever, who cares? Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say is that, okay, so throughout the history of stark contrast, there have been moments. I I did this so much. I did it before every finale so far, where I said, without spoilers, I think they're gonna do a thing from the books. Right. I think they're gonna do a thing, and I'm not gonna say what it is, but I think they're gonna right. do it. Um, and it never happens. And yep. I was, if you go back and listen to our podcast about the last finale, I, I'm pretty sure I said like, uh, like you asked me about, it and I was like, oh yeah, you know what? They're never gonna do that. They, they kind of had their chance, and it's never gonna happen. Um, they are 99% of the way there as of this episode. So seriously, they are like, they have all of a sudden, out of nowhere, every piece is in place for this thing to happen. Whereas seriously, they were all yeah. I'm dead serious. <laughs> Oh, so, that's funny. Yeah, I actually read somewhere that they were might be bringing that. I know what you're talking about. I, I read somewhere they might be bringing that plot line in in a different way or with a different version of that character with a different, you know, maybe a it's different possible, yeah. other character filling that filling that role. But yeah, yeah it's interesting. Because it, it's been like, you know, I, I'm not, again, I'm not going to say even a little bit hint at what I'm talking about, but it's it's been so, I think it might have been, it might be too long. It might have been too long ago uh, for this uh thing to happen because it's it is related to an event that happened in the past and in the book it happens pretty closely after that thing happened but it's been so long right but it depends it depends if they use that same character or if they use a like if they build it off of a different character which is probably the direction they would go Um, right but But seeing as this has been a season of fan service why not yeah i that's the thing it's that's the real reason why not just because um I, frankly, w- when we have this scene of the hound talking, you know, around the campfire, 
I was, you know, I don't even remember what they were talking about because the whole time I was like, they're about to do it. They're about <laughs> to reveal it. Like, they, it's all right here. It's all Maybe right the here. Finale. Maybe I mean, the finale, yeah, yeah, so it's, I can't believe we're about to enter, like, another end of a Game of Thrones season, the third in a row. Where you say I, the same I'm thing. I'm once again like, I can't believe they're about to do, they're about to do the thing. But they've never been closer. And so I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Interesting. Cool. Well, that's uh, that's exciting. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are very confused by what we're talking about right now. But yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Well, um, yeah. Well, I'll be very curious to see if they actually do that because I've I've heard a little bit about it from people who read the books, and um, I don't still don't fully understand. Like, it doesn't conceptually make any sense to me. But whatever. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, so that's cool, uh, and it could fit into things, and that would be a crazy way to like tie things in from. Because, you know, this is like the season of people returning and characters showing up like Benjamin Stark that we haven't seen in forever, and so it could be a Yeah, exactly. Um, but in any case, uh, and a rebuilding of a certain group of people. Mm. I don't even want to mm-hmm. be as vague as possible. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Uh, this can be interesting because um, they've sort of been doing that. Uh, so there's that. Um, oh, geez. Wow, this has been, we've, been, we've really gone into this episode. Yeah, um, for, for an episode where I started saying nothing really happened, we've gone really on for happened, a while. Right. Right, but there was highs and lows, right? Like, so I was saying, yeah. I really like a lot of the stuff, even at River Run, it was like peaks and valleys of things I liked, you know? So it's it weird. Um, but I just, again, I just really like how it ties into Ray's comment. Um, and then I think we, we conclude with Arya. Uh, yeah. And so we get this great, um, great moment, uh, or we get this great sort of uh, uh, couple of scenes with Lady Crane taking care of Arya. We had it earlier and now. Um, and then we have probably the weirdest conclusion to a game of thrones episode i think maybe ever this was bizarre this was it really was every way and i guess the only real explanation for it is like the fan theory which i don't know if you've heard about oh what's the fan theory okay well let's let's go through it real quick because i'll just i'll explain why it's weird and then why the fan theory might i don't know somehow explain it okay so it seems like um that so so first, um, you know, she's taking care of it. She does the milk of the poppy thing. I don't know if that was earlier or now, but That's at the uh, beginning, and Arya, yeah. Arya just drinks it, not questioning it, which I thought was a little weird. But I guess she's weak and she doesn't really have an option. Um, and uh, so there's a lot of weird stuff like. There's this whole question of names, and that the many-faced god was promised a name, and that's what the waif says when she shows up. Uh, and by the way, she kills Lady Crane, which is sad because cool character, and now she's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess no more acting career, and that's too bad uh, for Arya. Um, but she seemed like she would have been a good mentor for her. Uh, so that that was kind of a shame. Um, but then, you know, so the Waif says um, that the Many-Faced God needed a name, uh, which, by the way, ties into the fan theory a little bit. Um, the Many-Faced God needed a name, and then I'm wondering, does the Many-Faced God actually care about names, or is just what the Acolytes seem to believe, because they I think it's just a like cult a, I think they just mean like a person, you know? They say a name, but like, you know, with the, you know what Jacken used to say is like, a life is owed. So I think she just A life a is owed. Okay, but, right. And that's actually part of, that's also part of the theory. I don't want to butcher it either, so I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to repeat it when we, when we get there. Um, so that was cool, but then I was like, or, or I don't know if it was whatever. So they, she says Oda name, but then she goes like full on Terminator, and other people have already made, yep. um, made the, you know, mashup, but it makes no sense whatsoever what she's doing. It's so bizarre what the waif is doing. Um, so she like she's 
first of all, could have poisoned the milk of the poppy, like taken someone else's face and done that. Um, she killed the uh, killed Lady Crane, um, and uh, and like clearly stated her presence. Doesn't in any way try and sneak up on Arya, even though she's weak. Um, like there's that scene where she's running along the roof, and then by the way, completely unstealthy, and then like doesn't even jump on top of her, just jumps randomly in the middle of the street. Like, if this was an Assassin's Creed, Creed game and somebody was watching you play, like, <laughs> fail. You failed it. You, you don't know how to play Assassin's Creed at all. You, you failed being an assassin. Um, like, it's so bizarre. Uh, or the other scene that reminds me of is sort of the, the chase scene at the end of The Matrix as well, where they're just crashing into things in the street trying to get away from, I mean, you know. Terminator is the perfect, I mean, I, that's the perfect metaphor it's for me. so because weird. I would, I would eat my shoe if this actress didn't watch Terminator 2 before filming the scene because her movement is identical to Robert Patrick identical really? the way when she runs I, I think I saw a mashup I don't remember where I wish I could find it someone did side by side the way she moves her arms you know the her posture her pose it's there's no way it wasn't influenced by Robert Patrick and she you know it's very clearly a similar setup she's auditioning <laughs> she's, she is the Terminator in this in this moment but everything you know she's to me very clearly emulating Robert Patrick I think she's clearly trying to audition for Terminator Exodus or whatever the next one's going to yeah. be called. Well, she's got an in with Amelia Clark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so that was bizarre. Um, and so, like, this doesn't explain anything. And then it concludes with Tom Wallace's character, right? So with um, Jack and Agar saying, uh, you know, like, a life was owed but or... or you know, whatever the debt's paid or whatever, whatever he says. And then he gives this weird, almost smile. Like he's like, I always like you more anyway. Um, or you're truly no one now. <laughs> um, and I'm like, what? So we're coming back to the house of black and white, which by the way, then negates my older co- complaint that there was no point to the house of black and white, but, and she doesn't seem to want to go, or she said she wants to go home, but he seems to have different plans for her. Like you're going home, but you're going to have a very different goal. Anyway, this all ties back into when he says, now you're truly no one, that apparently the fan theory goes that, well, there's two. The second one is idiotic. But the first one is that the waif <laughs> is Arya, that Arya and the waif are the same person. Oh, you um, mentioned this last week, didn't you? Did I? No, I don't think I did. Maybe did someone I? someone mentioned this to me. I remember. It's possible I mentioned it. but so And so like she kills Lady Crane, and she does a lot of these things, and it's sort of her wrestling with herself. And there's a lot of like little things that seem to indicate that, and that, that she kills her, um, and then sort of that's her finally getting past her inability to be no one, um, or that being no one isn't what she thinks it means, which is like it's not not being Arya Stark, it's being Arya Stark and everyone else as well, or something. Um, the other theory, by the way, is that the old woman was Jack and Hagar or something, which also seems bizarre. Like, why would that happen? Um, and so, yeah, there's, like, a lot of weird things like that. But if that's the case, it might explain why there's this crazy fight. Um, also, the other thing is that the last episode ended... Uh, or an episode, a couple of episodes... Oh, no, so that's what it was. It was Arya is the waif, and the old woman was Jack and Agar who kills or tries to kill her. And that, in fact, Arya has always been in that room in the dark because she that's where she was. Why would she ever go out again? Um, you know, trying to buy... it. Because she, she's all confident and tries to book this boat to Westeros. We didn't even recognize the fact that the last episode we saw, she was hiding, a, like, scared in a cell, right? And suddenly the next episode, she's confident out in the world, a lot more like the Waif than 
before. So it's not clear who's who here, but it looks like it may not be what we think it is. No, but like, um, it's very clear. That's the thing. People read so much in this storyline into because they want of how Fight Club fa- so bad. Be- yeah, exactly. Well, because of how face magic works, people have all these assumptions of like, oh, this character could not be this character. They could be another character wearing a face, and it's never been the case ever. <laughs> It's never been the case. It's still not the case. Like, the whole thing with Jacken was the old lady who then ripped off the face to be the waif, but Jacken was the one doing that. It's like, the previous scene is Jacken telling the waif, go kill her. Why would he say that if he was just going to do it himself in disguise as her? And why would he disguise himself as her anyway if he was the one who wanted to do it? It's just... Wait, it's... so that wouldn't make any sense. Um, but what might make sense is that he was telling... That is sort of a... That's Jacken telling Arya to go completely destroy her identity finally that could also work i don't know which might also explain why the wife has no name like even in like even jack and hagar has some name of some sort well um, no we, I know we call him jack and hagar but that's just the name of the face he uses the person but even is in no the one. credits he's but like she's not even well, credited I mean, yeah, in the credits but... with any sort of name so it's just kind of interesting that like it, it, if that's the case if it because then it would explain why like what did she prove by killing her yeah, what, exactly. Why, well, exactly, you know, when so he says... it's either idiotic or, like, a weird twist. So well, my problem with the ending of this, I have a few problems, but my big problem is that, like, it's a zero-sum game with the cliffhanger from last week. It really comes to the same thing. There's no reason we couldn't have ended last week with this fight sequence, with this chase sequence, because what happens in this week except for, you know, a rehash of essentially what happened last week is the wave shows up and they fight. We could have had the wave show up and they fight and she wins last week. It's so we just have this contrived uh, way to do it all over again, but longer in this episode. And the second thing I don't like is that you know I, I get it's cool when she pulls out needle and she you know cuts the lights, but it would have been really cool if they had still like done the fight. And it, it's okay that we literally can't see anything because it's and because it's interesting. I know Game of Thrones isn't really known for its interesting fights. <laughs> we talk about that a lot. Right. But it would have been... I was going to co- say, the editing would have made it so we wouldn't have known what's going on Exactly. Anyway, well, so I would have... I literally... I would have loved... And again, I you don't want to be like, here's how I would have done it all the time. But, like, I would have had just 30 seconds of pitch black screen, you know, soprano style, and just, like, the, the sounds of them scuffling. And right. then um, we're like... You know, then it stops, and we don't know who won. And then Arya, uh, you know, opens the door, and we see that it's her. That would have been great, and it would have been cool, you know, like, The Sopranos made a bold choice by ending its show the way... I thought it was kind of cool to have her drag the face into the, uh... That was, no, I mean, that was cool. I mean, it, you know, it's a little... I thought it was a little brutal, even for how Arya's been going, that she, for her to... Well, I don't know. know how she did it with Needle. That is not that's a carving the, I mean, that's what I was thinking, too. You know, how... I don't know how she accomplished cutting off knife? the face. Um, well, that's just it. If that's not real... I know, but, if like... If that's not real, then it... It's not that it's not real, but, like, it's... The idea that she had to like separate herself from her identity and that that's yeah, but she doesn't, right? Victory. She's still Arya. That's what she says. Well, she at the says end of the she episode. is, but that's not. Again, I think that's not his point. His point isn't like you're not Arya Stark. That's not the issue. It's that you're not separated from your wants and desires anymore, or something. I don't know. I, I can't figure out what he wants because he's so no. But that's the thing. It's like, but he's not really saying anything. But the, that this is the reason why this theory to me is kind of like. I don't. It's kind of stupid to me, and I'm not saying that you know. I don't want to. I don't. I'm not even adhering to. By the way, this is just. I I don't. Yeah. It's the only way to justify this idiotic Terminator fight, which is (laughs) stupid. No, but like, first of all, okay. 
I mean, the, really, like, first of all, the theory could be true, right? I mean, there's really nothing contradicting it. I, I can see how people put this together, and there is nothing in this episode where you say, oh, well, obviously that means that it's, uh, that it's not, you know, there, there's no, um, I remember at the, you know, the end of Fight Club, they have the montage of the previous scenes where they show, like, oh, so this is how this went down. Right. Um, and there's nothing in this episode that where it would be like, well, that, you know, this theory can't play out if this is happening. The right. only thing that's kind of borderline that is uh, this scene in the last episode where Jacken is talking to the waif and not Arya. But right. um, even that, I guess you could justify. But, you know, even if it... My point really is, even if it is true, like, it doesn't come to anything. So what if it's... Even if this whole storyline with the waif is symbolic, so what? It still means the same thing as if it really it's happened. Shadow Korra. Well, Shadow Korra had Nagakora, whatever, whatever we call Shadow Korra had symbolic. First of all, was clearly not real, <laughs> but Shadow Korra <laughs> had symbolic significance. It it, it meant okay, something. Okay, you say that now, by the way, but we were not sure for a long time. Oh, we what weren't the sure for a while, there. but yeah, but like that storyline came to a conclusion where we were like, okay, now it's this is the conclusion of this story. The waif is dead, and it doesn't matter whether or not it was symbolic. It could have been. Sure, it could have been, but. Now we're at the end of it, and, like, okay, but so what? And again, like, if this is supposed to be about her becoming no one and letting go of... I don't even know what the waif is supposed to represent about her that she's letting go of. I got nothing. Exactly, yeah, but it's like, her last line of this episode is, I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell and I'm going home. She's not no one. She always kept her identity. If anything, yeah, this is symbolic be, of her rejecting con- the tenets of the House of Black and White, I guess. But he seems to be happy with what she said and seems to be content with the fact that she... And, and says, yeah, like, this is this yeah. is what I wanted. Or, like... Or, honestly, my, my first thought was he, he's thinking in his head, like, I always liked you more anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's just a weird moment, and he seems to be perfectly happy with it. Yeah, well, he seems should... to be aware that, like, this is the better path for her. He, you know, he's he was he was always kind of reticent, even through throughout the past two seasons, about like letting her go further yeah. and further in uh, down this path. So I get the sense from that that like he always knew that this wasn't the right path for her, um, and so he's happy that she is finally doing. But then, the, but then, we, but then, if that's true, then that's really easier or something because I thought that's what we decided two episodes ago. Well, exactly. Well, but then you know. The past, he two, the past two seasons of Arya have been zero sum, haven't they? Because, like we've right. been saying, what did she learn at the House of Black and White, really? Absolutely. How to fight in the dark, I guess. Too bad we didn't see that. Yeah, right. Well, how to fight in the dark. I will say the one thing I liked about this is it's not what I expected to happen. Fighting in the dark is a cool thing that we get in two things. Uh, I, I think that I can remember, like Riddick and mm-hmm. um, yeah, Riddick. Uh, and Daredevil, right? Um, and so I think it's what's cool about although Daredevil, right? Here we go again with Daredevil. Yeah. Um, but what's cool, well, first of all, in 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 what's cool in Riddick is that the scenes where he fights in the dark, you see like like sparks or something that you see flashes of things. So you're like, oh, I'm following what's going on, but I don't really know. But I I know he's yeah, exactly. Butt, right. Um, but the other thing here is what it does is I always thought that like training without sight would make her super fighter, even when she got her sight back, and she would just be good at fighting. And you know, so, like in other words, at re-entering the normal fighting world. But then she's not good at that. But what she does is she brings everyone else back to where she was not good, but certainly better than someone who's never done it before at all. And it doesn't look the waif had ever had any practice with that. So yeah, well, it's, yeah, I mean, I, that calling that back finally justified that stupid plot line. But, but it, I don't that's know. That's the thing. It's like okay, we know that if if the entire purpose of this 
plotline was, okay, now she's good enough at fighting to beat the Waif, and that's the point of why we saw the Waif beat her but all she's season. Not. Okay, she's finally good. Well, because she did beat the Waif, but I think it would have... By making the battlefield completely uneven. Well, I mean, yeah. And she had a by sword, by, and then, then the Waif had a knife. Yeah, this scene would have worked so much better if they had been on... If Arya had shown that she... If she'd used the abilities that we've seen her learn to beat the Waif using her skill... And if we had seen that, okay, she has grown, she has learned, she is taking something away from this experience. But not only do we not see the fight, like, she's using a sword. She's probably using the exact same t- techniques that Sirio Farrell taught her in season one. Probably. You know, and the fact that we, if we'd even seen... Well, you know what's interesting, though? You know what's interesting? Remember we were saying, how would you cut a face off a needle? Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you'd use the knife. Which then, mm-hmm. it could lend to the theory, or it doesn't. It just means that she took the way of She thing. picked but up the either knife, way, yeah. huh. That's like... That's hardcore. Mm-hmm. That's hardcore. And did we ever see her actually remove faces? Does she know how to do that? No, I mean, <laughs> that's the other thing. I think the show we saw Jack and do it, but the show, from a you know physiological perspective, might uh, assume too much about how easy it is to take off a face. I don't know how easy it is you to know, take off a face, but I assume that it it's very a little more complicated than just cutting it off. They do it very easily in Spartacus. One of the first episodes features. It's called um, the Thing in the Pit, I believe great episode uh and it's oh it's so gross but there's a guy who fights with the face of another guy on his face and it's disgusting and every time he kills someone he puts their face on and that's his new mask and it's horrifying but um like he does it i don't know i don't know it's there's silence of the lambs too right yeah yeah sure why not um and of course white shrewd in the office yeah (laughs) or of course you know i what i immediately thought of was of course the movie face off and it's a whole like it's a whole procedure they have to use like lasers it's a thing yeah it's you know and like machines so (laughs) it's yeah this this scene well it depends it's not a functional face you know and and also (laughs) we're forgetting about magic being a sort of a wave wand waving thing if you want it to be used for things um but by the way, I just want to point out, um, it was weird to see all that promotional art that had all these faces of people who haven't died yet. Yeah. Um, or are maybe never going to die when, like, it doesn't seem like that's... They weren't, like, indications about this season at all. They were just general. Well, yeah, the key art is was really weird in that regard. Because, yeah, it's not even like the House of Black and White was a major part of this season. Right. So the idea to have well, the, you know... The well, it's been of... it's been in the season more than almost any other plot line. Well, yeah, but not um, not this aspect of it. The, you know, the Wall of Faces isn't a dominant motif of this season. No. no. Or even, like, even on a, you know, symbolic level or a thematic level, it's like, this really has nothing to do with the major uh, storylines that's that, this right. year. Right. Well, it? not yet, but maybe I it guess, will. I guess it could come back. I mean, if all the characters on that poster are die in episode 10, then I'll get what they were going for. But <laughs> as of now... Well, the other thing, too, is when she's swiping through the faces, um, or whatever, last season, um, does she not see people she's seen before? So one way this could have been interesting is kind of like... You remember in um, in Harry Potter when, when the headmasters die, they end up in the portraits? Yeah. Um, like, to sort of have that as, like, oh, if you see someone in a portrait, that means they died, you know? Mm-hmm. And so here it could have been like she could have seen somebody she knew their face show up in the House of Black and White. That might have been a way to connect. This but we also like, see... Oh, my God. We see Jack and cutting off a face an episode or two ago. So the assumption is, is that you actually have to take the face off and then do some magic to it to make it, you know... Well, the implication is that faces... Somehow bodies end up there. I don't know how they get there, because they well, have yeah, people come people, there to but... die, I guess, right? That's something we've seen. True. But there's also... there were, Weren't there faces of people that we... We knew were or there? no? I thought there that were. That might have just been in the poster. 
I don't know if there it wasn't, were. It wasn't in the when she's going through the faces when she's pulling the faces. I don't off. know if there were character. I don't know if there were characters there who we know to be alive. Um, no, I didn't think it knew to be alive. I thought that we knew to be dead. Are you what? Are, yeah, but I, I don't think there were. I don't remember there being. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, I don't remember the assumption, like the quiet assumption that I always had about the room, uh, about the faces, is that exactly like you say, like when you die, your face shows up there, and then it's available for use. But then there's also because we don't know anything about how this works, um, even though we spent two seasons here, um, we also see Jack and you know, taking these body donations from people and cutting off their faces and using them. So the implication right. there that I get is, oh, so you physically people, need it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You need the physical face and people kind of donate their identities to the House of Black and White when they're ready to die, which is also a really cool idea. But you're right. It's. It, but what's funny about that then is it would never have the, those faces then um, because it would never have anybody we knew because yeah. – you know, they all get, like, Catelyn, and they all get buried in the tombs and the rest of it, so why would they ever... So that's yeah. interesting. Um, but yeah, then how so... would he have Arya's face in that scene? Wait a minute! When does he have Arya's the face? End of that, isn't the end of that scene that she sees her own face when she's pulling off the masks? Or am I making that oh, up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is, right? Maybe. I think so. So, oh my... See, this is the whole thing. Just to, now that we've apparently wrapped up the House of Black and White, I can't believe we spent two seasons here and we still know nothing about them. Nothing. <laughs> nothing, which is kind of cool, but also not. It's I mean, yeah, it is cool. The mystery is cool on a level, but, you know, the mystery was cool two seasons ago. When it's it hard like, to care about it now. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, I wonder how all of this works. I can't, you know, I wonder how they'll... When will they reveal kind of the inner workings? But it's just like they just kind of kept repeating the same mystery. It's like, oh, here's the mysterious thing again over and over. Right, and right, it never right. came to anything. We never found out anything more about it. What can you? I don't know. The whole thing is is very weird to me. But um, uh, I think that the punchline here is that Arya's not going west of Westeros. She's just going to Westeros, as far as we know. She's yeah, exactly. So, which is what was happening at the end of last episode. So I this, uh... yeah. whatever. Um, so this was a weird episode that had a mix of. I like. I said, I still think there were good things and bad things. Uh, sure. Things I really liked, and even within scenes or storylines, that it was like whatever. Um, first of all, none of them are as bad as Dorn, which we still haven't seen. Uh, and God, Ramsey, I can't believe which, again, Dorn watch. Dorn watch. It's Dorn been seven watch weeks since the Dorn scene. Um, so that's great. And uh, and so it, none of them has been as bad as that. And even when they are not great, they still have moments that are great or moment like lines that refer to something that implies something great. Like even in this Arya thing, we had the West of Westeros, which just conceptually was cool to bring up. Like. Mm-hmm. You gave me something to think about, which is cool. Hmm. Um, by the way, one last thing about the faces in the promotional art. They had that picture of Tyrion where he's like bald with a long beard, right? Or something weird like that, which we haven't seen at all. So I don't know if that's building to something either. I don't remember um, that. I don't know. Really? No. He looks very weird. Uh, I think it's, it, it might just be because he doesn't have the hair, right? Because it's just the face. Oh, okay. But he has like a big beard, though. Well, he has a beard now. Does he? Oh, maybe. Okay, so maybe it's. I don't know. I just he looked like a a, a lumberjack or something. It's very <laughs> different. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So she's going home, and that's that's that. And mm-hmm. we already talked about, I guess, what's going to happen. The yeah, episode next nine, episodes. Battle of the Bastards. Um, yeah, I think we have a pretty good idea of what's going to go down. <laughs> right, and then this title winter, alert. I assume yeah. they're not releasing the synopses, but yeah. I'm assuming that that's going to be a, a, a White Walker episode. Possibly, or, yeah. It's the longest episode of Game of Thrones uh, at 69 minutes. Right, uh, so which is we'll, cool. That, and I swear to God, we're, I just know it. We're going to get to minute 68, and they're going to cut to Dorne. I, you think? I, <laughs> I feel great. it in my bones. It's coming. Dorne is coming. 
Okay, yeah, but how much would you love this show if they cut to a scene of the Sand Snakes trying to throw a handkerchief again? <laughs> that would that would absolve them entirely because they'd be like, we know it's stupid. We want to leave you on a good note because a bunch of characters just died, so we feel bad. Uh, maybe maybe uh, Cersei's going to take all the wildfire and ship it to Dorne, and then she's just going to blow up Dorne instead. Sure, why not? Sure. I'm down for that. I would be okay with one more Dorne scene if it's Dorne exploding. Dorn exploding. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Who knows? Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, one last thing I want to mention. I did mention it last episode. Yet another example of women taking over the Game of Thrones world is... Um, uh, what's her name? Lyanna Mormont? Yeah, Lyanna Mormont. Who's now in charge of Mare Island. So even mm-hmm. the minor houses, it's happening. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> Female takeover. Um but anyway, so uh, yeah, thanks for this. This was great, uh, great discussion. Way longer than we usually go, but yeah, uh, right. I hope of all hope episodes to go it. long on. Right, I know. Um, but there were so many different things going on in this, even good and bad. So, uh, um, but anyway, I just want to, like I said, I want to thank you for the discussion, and uh, I hope listeners are not so incredibly bored by a podcast that's almost double the length of <laughs> episode itself. Um, people have pointed that out to me, but you know, people like listening to them, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, hope you guys join us next week for the Battle of the Bastards. <laughs> <laughs>